GM, GM, everyone, we have a we have a great action packed space for you all today. So we're going to be uh, joined by Zeneca uh, coming up soon. In you know the next few minutes, he should be joining us, and then followed by that, we will be joined by by Tony Parker to discuss uh, the tokenization of wine and and his uh, his work with uh, Club Defend. GM, GM, yeah, I see uh, Zeneca has joined. While we're waiting, I'm just looking outside my window where I live yesterday. We had our first snowfall and uh, it melted. But this morning I woke up to white everywhere. It's uh, oh, the first snowfall is always a, a big change, but it's beautiful outside. That's amazing. I, I'm, so I'm living in Germany at the moment, but I'm from Australia. And so I'd never experienced that until about three years ago. And it's just a magical thing. It very much doesn't get old, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the first snowfall never gets old, but by, uh, let's say, February here in Canada, I'm ready for uh, spring to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I grew up in, uh, in, up in the suburbs of uh, New York City, and you know, I, I have some, some, some memories of having to shovel my long driveway with feet of snow. So it, 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 it's, it's nice and, and, and not nice at the same time. I agree. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, so Jason and, and Zeneca, I think we can uh, I think we can get started here. You know, uh, so Zeneca, I really uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. We're we're really excited to talk with you. Uh, so for those of you uh, in our audience that uh, that you know maybe meeting Zeneca for the first time or hearing him speak, just uh, give a little introduction. He's the founder and CEO of Zen Academy. He is the chief Zen officer at at Blur Marketplace and. Uh, He's also, you know, very involved in education in the space, and he has a guide called 30 Days of NFTs. Uh, you can check that out as well. Um, definitely some great information. So we're going to be talking to him, you know, about, about exactly, exactly that. So, so thanks again for joining us, Zeneca. And I think, you know, a great place to start, and I'm sure a question that, you know, you probably have gotten ad nauseum at, at this point is... You know, I guess, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and how you got into, into Web3, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I got into Web3, I mean, I bought my first Bitcoin and, and ETH back in 2017 and uh, bought a bunch of random altcoins as well and then watched all that kind of crash and left the space up until early 2021. I think like a lot of people had a similar trajectory. Uh, my background before... Uh, all of that was a professional poker player. So I played poker professionally basically for my entire adult life for about 16 years from 2005 to 2021. Uh, even when I was, you know, dabbling in 2017, I was very much still playing poker. And I got, by, by the end, like by 2021, uh, I was like kind of getting over poker. I had been like looking for something else to sink my teeth into for a while. And I had some friends that were talking to me about NFTs, crypto, DeFi, all this new stuff that had come up while I was like, you know, had left the space. And, uh, you know, at first I was like very skeptical of, of NFTs. I think like most people are at first, but then came around and, and realized, you know, the whole creator economy thing that was brewing. And uh, even just like seeing DeFi was, you know, something that really opened my eyes to like how much had been built in, in crypto and on Ethereum while I was kind of away. So 
yeah, really just made a conscious decision to go, you know, I'm going to jump right in and, and dedicate a lot of time and effort into understanding this, this whole new world. And yeah, just, you know, for most of last year was doing that, you know, learning, trading, flipping, and somewhere along the way started creating content, a newsletter, a podcast that led into Zen Academy, which is a community and, and platform focused on uh, education and information and have been working on that for the last year. Awesome. I love, I love that story. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, can, I, I certainly can relate, you know, I, I have, I mean, I'm not, wasn't a professional poker player, but I did get into NFTs or sorry, crypto in 2017 kind of, you know, started into that NFT soon after around kind of probably around the same time as you as well. So yeah, I, I really appreciate that and, and love that kind of journey and, and, you know, that focus on education, which I think is, is super important. So I guess with that in mind, you know, when you first started out in this space, because, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into the education side of things. What is a what is one piece of, of advice or information or just something that you wish you had known uh, looking back now, you know, when you first entered the space? Oh, there's so many, actually. Um, <laughs> I think. I mean, it's obvious, but, you know, just to not FOMO and like the, the one piece of advice I give to anyone new entering the space for whatever reason, whether it's to be a trader and to try and make money that way or to launch a project or to create content or whatever it is, I think be patient and, you know, kind of take a bit of time, especially if it's something to do with buying or selling NFTs or coins or trading or DeFi, um, any, anything where you're risking money, just sort of be really patient and careful. And uh, it's so easy to just get, it's like so easy to get caught up in the FOMO and just like, you get into a Discord room and people are talking about a project and you're like, whoa, maybe these people seem to like it. Maybe I should get it because it might 100x. And, you know, obviously in this bear market, that's happening a lot less. But back last year, it was very common. And even today, I think people get caught by FOMO all the time. So, uh, yeah, just just like be patient and, and try to fight those uh, FOMO tendencies. I love that. I love that. And I, I really like your, your journey in becoming a builder in the space, right? Like I said, you went from a poker player and I think you started after you got your interest in the space, you started writing a bit and then you decided to experiment a little bit with communities, NFTs, and then now you're, you know, hiring people, managing teams. I know you got a lot of your team from your community, but I'm just curious, you know, outside of the learnings within the Web3 industry, like were there resources in terms of that you looked at in terms of building your business, like learning how to write, you know, uh, you know, building community, you know, how to hire it and all of that. I, I don't, there, there were no specific resources, I think for most of those things, it was a lot of just trial and error and learning and looking at what other people and projects were doing and trying to emulate that and like taking inspiration from, from others. So, uh, yeah, when it comes to like writing, I don't have like any sort of big background in, uh, I, I didn't study writing. I didn't, I wasn't a writer beforehand. I, you know, I would write a little bit and just over time I got better at it. Like if you go back and look at the writing and the stuff that I wrote, you know, 18 months ago when I was starting out, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> it's very, you know, not great writing, but, and it's not like, like my writing is amazing now, but it's certainly improved over time because it's, it's a skill. And I think any of these things are skills. So like, you know, leading a team and a project and being a manager and a, a, um, hiring people and you know, people skills and management and building a community and all of those things. They're like, they're skills that if you, if you just like 
consciously work on and actively try to improve at uh and and just like you're in the space all the time like i am or like you know, a lot of the time then over time you'll just get better at it that's, that's kind of how skills work and uh yeah so it's just like i i can't really point to a single source or resource that uh helped but it was just a lot of little sort of bits and pieces of inspiration i love that i think that's really good advice you know you've already talked about being patient learning by doing trying uh in today's world you know everyone wants that overnight 100x or the overnight success uh so to hear from you in a successful position to talk about you know putting in the work i think it, it's a good reminder it, it sounds obvious but it's so easy to forget in uh you know today's entitled world of instant gratification and all of that so appreciate that uh, those words of wisdom yeah and you know like i I think it just touches on that. Experience is the best teacher. You know, sometimes you, you can read all the books you want in the world. You can, you know, do all the studying that, that you can, but one experiencing it, it, it will teach you just things that you can never study or prepare for. So I, I love that aspect of it. And that's actually something that Web3 has really taught me. It's the, you know, just do it. You'll, you'll stumble upon things along the way. You'll get better along the way and you'll gain constructive feedback along the way to help you improve. And that's something I've been, I've been learning and, and been pleasantly surprised with this whole space in general. You know, it just, it's just so new. A lot of us are learning. A lot of us don't know what it's about. So learning in public and learning from each other is, is something that I've found extremely, extremely valuable. So I really appreciate people like Zeneca that, that have made it kind of a mission and a goal to, to teach those coming into this space, you know, these, these skills as well, because yeah, while experience is the best teacher, it's also nice to learn from the experiences of others. So maybe you don't have to, you know, kind of, you can learn from their mistakes before you, you make those mistakes on your own. So, so with that being said, you know, it is, it's for a new person in the space. It's so hard. Like there's so much information. There are so many projects. Like how do we kind of, shut out that noise and, and decide what is a, a good project or something that's valuable to invest our time in. So Zenik, I wanted to ask you, like, what are some things when you are navigating in the space, when you're looking for something that you want to maybe invest in or that you want to kind of, it, it, you know, invest your time in, what are like, I guess, some green flags or, or some things you look for in, in a project or a technology or, or a protocol? Yeah. So I've, for the longest time, and I still believe this, I would say, like, look at the team and the people behind the project or the community that's surrounding the project. And, and that is probably the biggest indicator to me of value or any sort of value, whatever that might mean. Uh, so that's like looking at the experience the team has, the temperament that they have, and all of those kinds of things. But I think even more important than that, and something uh, I, I think, you know, people are talking about, like, what project should I look at? What should I look into? What should I buy? Where should I spend my time? I think the, the, I mean, there's two things. First is think about why you even want to be in NFTs in the first place. You're trying to make money. You're trying to collect something. You're trying to connect with people. Uh, what is your, what is your why? And then secondly, I would be like, uh, try and find something that just appeals to you naturally. So if you're not, if you're not a gamer, probably don't spend a bunch of time researching and buying into gaming NFTs because it's just going to be a bit of a, a struggle the whole time if you're not naturally interested in art i mean sure you can learn new things and i wasn't interested in art two years ago now i'm, I'm a big fan but uh i would say if you're just starting out start out with something that naturally appeals to you 
I'm just curious, you know, you talked about looking at the team. Um, you know, you go by Zeneca and you, you use a PFP. I mean, I know I've seen you uh, in interviews before, but like, where do you think being pseudonymous or anonymous and, and building in this space, does like does it have a, a space? Uh, or do, like, if you want to go that route, do you have to start up, start building your credibility under that profile? Or do you think if you're a builder, like you have to say, this is exactly who I am. This is where I live. This is the companies that I, like, basically like your LinkedIn profile. I mean, I think there's, there's trade-offs kind of both ways. And if you, you have to just decide what makes the most sense for you. Uh, I, I definitely think you can be sort of anonymous or pseudonymous and, and be very successful. And, you know, I trust and, and, you know, buy into projects and value the opinions of many people who I don't know their real identities for. And I, the way I look at it is reputation is what matters more than name. So someone could have a pseudonymous identity like Zeneca. Like if I never dox, uh, people would still have be able to look at like 18 months of my words and actions and make decisions based on that. And sure, it's probably not still as comforting or as uh, necessarily easy to trust that versus like, let's say where I'm now, where I've got all the same history, but also people can find out my real name and they can see my face and maybe have an extended level of trust. But um, obviously there's other trade-offs where, um, you know, for, for many reasons, people might not want to reveal their, their identity. Maybe they're um, from a, a, a region or a part of the demographic that is often discriminated against, or maybe they have you know, concerns for their security or the privacy reasons. And I think that we shouldn't dismiss people just because their uh, identity is not known. But, uh, you know, if I'm buying into a project and it's by someone that has no reputation and brand new identity, uh, I'm going to be very, very cautious of it. And then over time, you might start to trust people a little more. But yeah. No, ab- absolutely. I think, I think there are, I agree with you. I think there are pros and cons. You know, we've seen doxed founders and teams, you know, rug pull, rug pull people. That's not necessarily just because you're doxed. Uh, does, that's not an indication of honesty and, and transparency. But I do think, you know, one, uh, you know, transparency is, I think, the most in one of the most important things in looking at the track record of someone like someone like Zeneco before he was doxxed was consistently providing value in the space, writing threads and educating people. So I think he's someone like that has built up, you know, a reputation that uh, can be respected re- regardless of whether they're, they're doxxed or, or undoxxed. So I, I do look at the track record, I think, is more important uh, than the whether you know who they are necessarily. I mean, you know, again, there are pros and cons to that. So, you know, speaking of of transparency, so I kind of have a two part question for you here, Zeneca. What what do you think, and this actually, this is a question that comes from our Discord, from Prime Night. So, so what do you think right now, what do you think is the current state of transparency in NFTs? Um, and then follow up to that is what do you think can be done to improve uh, transparencies from a financial perspective in the NFT space? It's a good question. I think currently there's not great transparency in the NFT space, uh, there are a few projects that are sort of exceptions, but for the most part, most people don't really have much of an insight into, you know, where the money is going if you buy an NFT or, you know, what the team is doing with it and uh, how much the team is taking versus how much they're going to sort of put back into trying to do things for the community. Um, and I think that, like, I mean, and also for, like, 
you know, when it comes to influencers or large accounts sort of tweeting about projects or um, I guess projects is the most, most thing uh, without disclosing whether they're being paid for it or, or incentivized to you know, tweet. Uh, I, I think it's, it happens less often than most people think that say someone with a large following tweets and they're getting paid for that. But I think it's, it's a, it's still a relatively significant amount of the time. And, and I think, there should just generally be better transparency. Uh, and I'm sorry, I forgot the second question. <laughs> yeah, no, not no worries at all. So the, I get the yeah, the second question is so re- regarding that transparency. What do you think? What do you think can be done to improve transparency from NFT projects, both from a financial perspective and delivery of their you know utility and promises perspective? I mean, I think there's a there's a few things that can be done. There can be like the the social and cultural approach where as buyers and collectors and consumers or users, whatever we want to call the people, you know, spending money uh, or giving money in one or another to an NFT project, we can, you know, vote with our wallets and like ask for better transparency and, and buy projects that are more transparent and not buy projects that are a little more shady or speculative or uncertain or unknown. And so that's one thing that can be done. And I think we're getting better over time. Uh, like this time last year, anyone that could get some fiber out together and buy some Twitter followers and they could sell out a, a collection and raise like half a million dollars or sometimes much more. And nowadays people are very dubious and skeptical and doing a lot more recent book projects. So I think things are just generally getting better there. Uh, can you still hear me? It says my connection was lost. No, we can hear you. Great. Okay, Thanks. Cool. That was just Twitter doing a really weird error message. So uh, that's one <laughs> always Twitter has some problems. That's, that's one um, part of it. The other is like more, the stuff that can be done on chain where, you know, there's things like refund periods, lockup periods for a treasury. Uh, you can just have the balances of, you know, the, the treasury funds uh, held in an on-chain wallet and then be publicly visible. Uh, you can have, you know, community wallets, um, multi-sig wallets. There's a lot more that can be done to be transparent about, the, the, the funds and the money and the intentions, uh, but it, it really does vary from project to project and what they're trying to do. Like, I think a lot of people have a misconception that when they buy an NFT, they're like buying part of a company and they're an investor in the, in the company. And they should have a say in how the money is being spent and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, that I mean, that's not how it works because otherwise NFTs are, uh, unregulated securities and that is bad for everyone <laughs> and and no one really wants that but uh so i don't think we sort of need or like should necessarily demand like full transparency of the books of every project i think that you know for whatever reason some projects might like to have a little more um hidden they might not need to want to tell people how much they're spending on marketing and r&d and and all sorts of stuff like that and i think you know, it's totally fine to have different levels of transparency from teams. Uh, but again, it comes back to us as, as buyers, we vote with our wallets and, and we will, um, and people will buy the ones that buy into projects that, you know, align with their vision and values. And you know, it's, it's not perfect. People still FOMO and buy into all sorts of random stuff all the time. But I think we're like trending into a better direction as the market matures. And uh, yeah. You know, you, you touched on something there uh, as well that, that I've really, you know, been thinking about a, a lot. 
Um, and that's, you know, from the holder perspective and, and what we expect as, as people that buy into projects. And, and you're absolutely right. I remember there was, there was a period of time where we thought the minute we bought into a project, we were a part owner or we owned a percentage of, of the project. And, and that is not always the case uh, or very rarely the case. So, you know, we always are expecting founders and teams to deliver us value. But, you know, I'm a believer that the community is also responsible for delivering value as well uh, to the project and, you know, to their own investment. So what do you think are some ways that holders, uh, individual holders or maybe a group of holders, the, the community can contribute and add value to projects on their own? I think I think it's one of the best parts about NFTs in these communities is that um, the incentives are kind of aligned in a nice way. Where if you're part of a community, a lot of people part of the community do want to help and and you know help spread the word. And, and that that doesn't quite happen as much in sort of traditional things in the world. Like it's not that often that uh, I mean I buy a can of Coke and then I'm going telling everyone, Hey, let's, you know, let's do something to help the Coke brand and let's, let's spread the word. And, and, you know, I want to meet other people that, that drink Coca-Cola. Uh, and, but, but when it comes to NFTs and communities, it's like, Oh, if someone has the same PFP, if someone is from the same community, um, I want to get to know them a bit more. You know, it probably means we share some sort of similar values and culture and ethos and whether it's like a similar taste in art or if it's a gaming project i think valhalla has done a really great job of putting together a gaming community uh it really aligns incentives so like what what can people do it really varies like the, the biggest thing that can help projects for the most part in uh i mean yeah there's a few things but every project wants better exposure marketing visibility attention like we're in this you know attention economy and there's a million projects and things vying for our attention all day. And so anything that you can do to sort of, you know, spread the word and tell people about the project and, you know, help on that front is always going to be really beneficial to a project. But th there are many other things as well, like depending on where a project is in their life cycle, maybe they're just starting out, maybe they were a free mint, maybe they don't have much money, you know, discord moderation, you can offer that, or you can help to like create content. You could, you know, write it, you know, there's, I've seen some, really excellent examples of people who are uh, like a community the founders would have like a, a town hall like a twitter space town hall or a youtube town hall and or a discord voice chat and then uh, a community member would of their own volition like take notes and then they'd post notes afterwards and make a twitter thread out of it or something like that and like that's super helpful to the other community members to the wider community because people get insight and uh in a few instances i know that the people that have done that they ended up getting hired by the, the, the project themselves. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunities and ways that people can pitch in and contribute, uh, you know, depending on, um, yeah, just the type of project and the type of people and what they want to do, but there's a lot. Yeah. I think uh, when we really look at communities, you really start to think about the possibilities and just how much further you can go together, right? And like you said, there are always going to be members that uh, are willing to... speaking because I can't hear anything. Oh, can you hear me, Bijan? Yeah, I, I can hear you. Zeneca, can you hear me? I can hear you. I think my Twitter got rugged, so I'm going to leave and come back when that... Yeah, I'll be right back. Okay, sounds, sounds good. Yeah, Twitter... Tw I, I've had that experience with Twitter quite often, especially on Spaces. <laughs> it, it has been known to rug you just at random times. 
uh, it can just shut off the space. Uh, it's happened to me more than once. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What's what's worse, Twitter Spaces or Discord? <laughs> Ooh, I mean, <laughs> it's a good one. I I think they're vying for who's the worst right now. No one, <laughs> no one's leading who's better. Let's bring back Clubhouse or something. Oh, that would be great, right? <laughs> hey, can you right. hear us? Yes, I can. I'm back. It wouldn't be a Twitter space if someone didn't get rugged. <laughs> exactly. We were just talking about that. You're you're absolutely spot on. <laughs> so yeah, Jason, go go ahead. I I uh, I don't know if you you can you remembered exactly what your question was. Yeah, but feel free. We're talking about community, right? And how you can find ways for members to contribute. And I definitely am a believer that, you know, with community, you can achieve great things. You know, as a builder in this space too, though, I see basically the main way to operate is you kind of do a initial mint and that can be your funding for your community and you can use those funds. But without, you know, ongoing revenue or recurring revenue, like it's difficult to reward your community participants um, without that revenue. So I'm just curious having, you know, you, I know you have two, I think maybe almost three communities now, Zeneca, like, have you thought about, or what, what have you seen in the space in terms of how you can, you know, reward those people for their participation, either financially or whatever it is? Yeah, it's, it's always a, a tricky question. Like, utility what is utility what do people get and how can you reward them and and for me i've always felt that at least for us the the, the value comes from being part of like a, a a community that really cares about you and that can empower you in various ways so we uh you know we run various events throughout the week we have like founders calls where people come together and can chat about you know their projects and help each other out. We have artist initiatives coming up. We have just an, you know, a fairly active Discord even in this bear market. Uh, we have giveaways and, and general perks like that. We create a lot of content, uh, educational content, but for the most part, the vast majority of it is given out to everyone for free because it, it's always felt a little weird having token-gated content. But then if people want to like come into the Discord and chat about the content, that's maybe where the, the token value comes in a little bit. Uh, there've been two, no, three structured courses I've created. And then we partnered with a few other people that have created like 10 to 15 hour courses on various parts of crypto and web three. Uh, so those are paid courses, but they're free to anyone who have a token. And actually there's, there's a point where, so we, we partnered with Nas Academy. They're kind of like a masterclass style website. And one of my courses was selling there for $399 and people were buying it. And at the same time, you could get a Zen Academy Genesis token for like $300 and that gave you free access to it. So it was one of those interesting cases of like, this is something that people are actually paying money for on the one hand, but then like you could, the, the token is like a discount to that. So there's like real utility there. Um, we've sort of, we haven't made courses for a while, but I think next year we're, we're, we have in our mind to create some sort of uh, learning management system and, and continue adding to that to that in, in terms of educational courses. But I mean, at the, at, at the end of the day, it's really just uh, being part of the community and we will constantly be trying to find ways to empower the individuals and whether that's with partnerships, whether it's tools and resources, whether it's with information, education, uh, we that, that's what we have in mind. And we're like building out various revenue streams as a business to be able to support the various initiatives that we have and that we're planning 
that don't rely on us having to sort of keep selling tokens to our community and don't even rely on, on you know, necessarily ongoing royalties. So I'm really excited for that. We want to do in-person events like uh, I want to do a Zen retreat. So like there's all these conferences around where there's like, they're in like New York or Miami or LA or Las Vegas or London, or these big towns. And most of the, the events are like, you know, parties or, or big dinners and, and, and you know, nightclubs and um, stuff like that. And that's not my scene. And I, I know it's not a lot of people's scene. So I think what I want to do is like a retreat somewhere in nature with workshops and meditation and yoga and, and like just like a wellness retreat but with web3 and like you get some great speakers in to come talk and that's kind of what i'm like we're planning uh probably like a late next year or like early to mid 2024 thing so it's, you know we're, we're really thinking far out but there's ways like anyone that has a token will get whether it's you know probably a discounted ticket uh potentially a free ticket for like certain maybe three to three members and yeah, just continually finding ways to do. Like, uh, I had a call just before this with uh, Chris Cantino, who is uh, founder of CPG Pop, and we were both just talking about you know the, the communities and how great they are and, and things they're doing. And like I said, you know, it's just so awesome and fun and fulfilling and rewarding to sort of be able to come up with ideas and then you know have a community that is like aligned on similar values and culture and then you can just like do things with the community you can like yeah it's it's this really fun rewarding experience in life so i'm, I'm really grateful for that and we're just going to continue to find ways to like you know enhance the community and, and empower them and, and and build out an entire ecosystem that is uh yeah really self-sustaining you know and you hear you got you know we hear the word community thrown around a lot you know it's kind of it, it, it kind of can sound like a buzzword, if you will, but I think it's very, very important, uh, regardless of how many times we say it. Right? I think from the beginning of time, people have always wanted to be a part of a community. And I think that's one of the things that, are, for me, that's been so attractive to Web3 is how much community is emphasized and, and kind of bringing together like-minded people and providing them an equal opportunity. So I, I, love, I love that you, you, you mentioned that. And I think that's a very very interesting idea for a meetup. It's it's definitely very unique. I don't think we have anything like that in in, in NFTs or Web three yet. You're, you're you're spot on with uh, most of our events are you know in Vegas or NFT NYC type events where it's very club party oriented. So I think something that's a little more relaxed and and you know spirit mentally and and spiritually rewarding. I think is uh, is something that is really needed in the space. And I think that's something that is also a step towards maturity as well for us. So I, I love, I would, I'm looking forward to something like that for sure. Now, you know, in terms of, of education, you know, I, I see a lot that, you know, the types of content that people like to consume are kind of surrounded by, by three things or regarding three things. It's how they can make money, how they can grow their brand or, you know, the, the future utility or use cases surrounding, uh, you know, our, our space. So in, I guess in terms of, your journey, what have you found as, as the content that people like to consume the most from, I guess, your, you know, your educational experience? And what do you think, and this might be, I guess, I don't know if this is a little difficult to answer, but like, I guess, what do you think people in terms of educational content are getting the most value out of? Are they getting the most value out of learning how to make money or are they getting more value out of, you know, building their brand or, or learning more about the technology? Yeah. So this is a really great question. I think 
the vast majority of people want to learn how to make money. That's what attracts people to the space. That's what gets people to crypto. That's what gets people to NFTs. They think that there's opportunities to make money, to, you know, have a better life, to you know, escape their nine to five job or to find a new audience to sell their creations to if they're a creator, um, to monetize if they're a, you know, a content creator. It's, it's whatever it is. I think the vast majority of people come for the money. Uh, but I think that what people get the most value out of is not content or educational materials or information that is geared towards making money because it's really hard to like make money in the short term. And most of the ways to make money in the short term are trading and flipping and investing. And most, like most people are going to just not succeed at that. It's really tough and uh, it's getting tougher as well. However, there are endless opportunities and ways that you can sort of make money, build a business, build a brand, uh, find a job by learning about the space, learning about uh, the protocols, the technology, learning about uh, what, ideas there are what works what doesn't work learning the lingo learning the language understanding the terms and you know different blockchains and uh just generally understanding more about crypto and and, and nfts and i think so a lot of our, the vast majority of our content is not alpha trading hunting anything like that we've done very like virtually zero content on like how to find projects and which projects to invest in because it's just at the end of the day it's like there's a million projects trying to do that and i think that it's very difficult to do and we don't really want to focus on that instead we, we try to teach people about uh well the super basics like what is an nft what is a blockchain uh what is a wallet and, and how to set up a wallet and all that basic stuff and then more advanced stuff like uh how do you launch your own project or how do you build a community how do you build a twitter following how do you uh, market how do you network how do you connect how do you write a smart contract all the all that kind of stuff where we, we don't like necessarily have specific courses for a lot of these things or, or stuff, but like general content. And like that, that's kind of conversation we sort of encourage and um, nurture and like we'll run events for within the service. So I think uh, most people want to make money and, and that's great. That's fine. That's why I got into the space as well. And I think most people being honest, that's why they got in. But the thing that will make people make money is not content specifically telling them how they can make money. Cause I think, very rarely does that work it's content focused on how you can learn more about the ecosystem and and the, the technology and then from there there's infinity opportunities and ways that you can make money and monetize yeah i want to double click on that because i have this theory I'm, I'm trying to build out and i think that there's a, a big play in terms of education for profit uh in the creator economy right i think like a lot of people have their own unique interests and when you blend it together with your skills you know you have something specific that you can teach so i think you know courses are, are a great way for people to enter the creator economy uh, in a digital space and i i did see that you're using nas so i'm gonna have to check them out in terms of for what you guys are doing like do you think as a brand you know education for profit like is there a ceiling uh like are you able to scale and grow that or is this more of like a altruistic endeavor to you know kind of help other people out or is this part of the content strategy which will be rolled out to like you said there's infinite ways beyond uh the courses and the education like how are you using this education piece yeah i mean i i think education should by and large be free but i think that there's different tiers of sort of like educational experiences so 
there's infinity content on the internet. There just is. And you can probably like self-learn and go find out absolutely anything that you want to know about anything. Like anything crypto related, anything NFT related, you could go and Google and just go down rabbit holes and start to like you know, learn yourself and differentiate what's good and what's not. And uh, that's, it's good that that exists, but then there's, there's value in like curating that or coming up with a more structured course or like a more accessible way because it's so overwhelming and so difficult and people don't know where to begin. And so that's kind of the level that we're largely at is like creating specific focused content so that when people do Google or when, if someone does want to learn about NFTs, they can go to 30daysofnfts.com or they can send that to their friends or their family members. And like that gives a bit more structure. And, you know, we could charge for that, but that's kind of stuff that we want to do for free because it's on like a mass scale. And it's like, it works better if, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are consuming that content. I think where it comes into, maybe we might want to charge in the future is similar to like the Nas Academy courses where if we're sitting down and, and creating like, 15 hours of structured video content with courses and um, quizzes and, and maybe even instructors to like that are employed to help people answer questions along the way. That's something that takes considerable time and money and effort to, to create. And so that might be something that we look to sell in the future. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, if, if we are creating a lot of content, you basically become like a media company where sure the focus can be education and information, but you can do things like add, uh, affiliate links like ethical affiliate like ledger hardware wallet or trezor you know especially given the last couple of weeks i think and i think most people think everyone should have a hardware wallet and self-custody their assets and so i have no problem recommending that to people and having an affiliate link that you know if people do learn about one of those ledger or, or trezor or whatever it might be from us and they go and buy it from them like I use those products. So I, 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 there's nothing wrong about promoting and advertising and, and having those links. And once you've got hundreds of thousands of people that are consuming the content, maybe a few thousand people will click on it and you get you know, $10 from each, all of a sudden that's like real money. And, and uh, I think that is a way to sustain like the overall business and, and allow you to do like as much free content as possible. So there's a lot of creator w models that aren't focused on, charging individuals um at the, the front end uh, straight up but uh and, and i think we're going to continue to experiment with with various models i love that i i definitely agree and uh i've heard you know the information is out there you know you like you said you can just google youtube whatever you want but what people are going to pay for is kind of the packaging the convenience putting it together and kind of the trust that uh, a course will actually get them to their goals. So you mentioned 30 days of NFTs. Can you tell us about that? Like, what is that? Who is that for? Uh, what are you going to learn in that program? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that uh, I'm going to pin the, the tweet to the top as well so people can see it. Uh, this is an idea that uh, Emily, who is head of marketing and, and community at Zen Academy, she came up with uh, about three to four months ago. It was an idea. And she said, what if we create a website where people can go enter an email address and then every day for 30 days, we email them automatically a like a, just a bite-sized bit of information about NFTs because it's so overwhelming. And like, even if you self-learn or even if someone tells you, hey, go watch this YouTube video or go read this article, it's often just like, there's too much content. Like you read an article about how to get started with NFTs and maybe in the article, it mentions MetaMask and Discord and Gas and Ethereum and later uh, like the blockchain and all these things. And then you're like, well, I don't know what half these words mean. And so we 
have structured it in a way that's supposed to be as like digestible and as to make the learning curve as, as sort of flat and, and not steep as possible. So day one is literally, it's, this is literally for like the people that are like curious about NFTs, but know virtually nothing about them. So day one is literally like, what is an NFT? We break down what the word, like what does fungible mean? What is a token? What is non-fungible? Uh, and like use some examples in like using paper money and, and other things. And then day two is like, what is a blockchain? Because well, in, in day one, we talk about non-fungible tokens being, you know, tokens on blockchains and all right well now people are like what's a blockchain so day two is what is a blockchain and so on and so forth and i think day four or five is what is a wallet and then we we step people through how to set up a wallet and you know safety tips i think within the 30 days there's like three or four days that are just specifically dedicated to like safety and security because it's so important and the, the goal is that at the end of 30 days people have like a base understanding of nfts they're not going to be an expert but they're going to know they're going to know like enough to hopefully keep themselves safe and to be curious and to be able to like, from that point, then they can go and do their own self-learning. And we actually, at the end of each day, so it's like a three to five minute read. We have like usually two or three links to whether it's an additional article or a YouTube video that, you know, for the people that do want to read more, there's like additional content. So uh, that's kind of 30 days of NFTs. It's totally free. It's at 30 days of NFTs.com. And I, I really, uh, we've gotten really good feedback. It's been out for about a month. And it's like, you know, my mom takes it and uh, she's finally understanding what the hell I've been doing in my life. So I think it's, it's really good for just people that um, have been curious about the space, but you have never really known where to begin or how to, how to tackle it. I love that. I think that's uh, 100% needed in the space. <laughs> While you're talking about that, I was thinking about that SNL skit that they uh, made a song about NFTs, which... It was pretty good. I mean, you know, obviously is uh, a Such comedy a catchy skit. Song. Yeah, and it was pretty informative, right? They used some some great uh, keywords in there, so so that was great. You mentioned your mom was using it. I'm I'm curious, like, who are these new people that are learning about NFTs and want to take a course? Right? Are are they people that are trying to flip and make some crazy money overnight, or are they devs who are interested in technology, or artists who heard that they can use this, or all of the above? Like, who are you seeing? Um, the most interest coming from? Yeah, I mean, actually, this kind of maybe highlights a, f a gap in our process because we don't really have that much interaction with people after they take the course. You know, we invite them into the Discord and there's free channels there and uh, anyone can reply to the emails and give feedback and we get good feedback. I mean, maybe we should have like a... Actually, no, wait, we are planning to have a survey and a feedback survey. Maybe we do. I, I don't know. I'm I'm all over the place. Anyway, I do not know who they are uh, in sort of any sort of very accurate way, but like anecdotally and just like talking to people, I would say, like, let's say we have 4,000 people subscribed now. I'd say maybe like 1,000, 1,500 are people that are sort of already in the space and have like a reasonable understanding, but think that there's more that they can learn and they just want to sign up and take the course and, and like fill bits of pieces in uh, gaps in their in information. Um, and then the rest are, are like people that have been referred by people that are in the space. So like me sending it to my mom, other team members send it to their parents or their, their siblings or their friends or their coworkers. And it's just like, I've, I've heard so many times, like literally well over a hundred times where someone has actually mentioned to me, oh, this is great. I'm taking it. And I just sent it to two of my friends. Or I just sent it to my coworkers or you know, I just sent it to someone else. And I think that that organic word of mouth is just getting people who were not really in the space and 
maybe we're just curious about the space. And uh, I think it'll capture all sorts. So it'll capture people who are just, you know, maybe interested in coming in to make money. It'll capture people who uh, maybe they're a dev in Web2 and they're like, huh, maybe I should learn about this, you know, Web3 stuff and, and really understand what a blockchain is. Because I hear that there's good opportunities for devs in the blockchain. Maybe it's an artist. Maybe it's uh, someone who's working for like a big brand or company and, you know, they, they've heard that their company is, has a Web3 department now and they're like, well, I should probably learn more about that. And so it's really just a, a wide um, swath of people, I think. That uh, word of mouth feedback is just the number one indicator of a great product. So shout out, Emily. That's a great idea and uh, great to see the success of something like this. Yeah, I'll be completely candid with you. Uh, I have a I have a friend of mine who's who's interested in NFTs. He he has his own business that's surrounded by uh, that's surrounded around. He hosts uh, events on rooftops, and you know, kind of he he uh, he sells wine at these events as well. He's a wine entrepreneur and and kind of party host. And he's someone who's kind of been looking into NFTs. So I actually sent him directly to your page to, uh, to start getting started. So I, I know exactly what you mean about word of mouth and coming from people in the space. So I, I love that. And one thing I do love about kind of your concept is when you really touched on, you're not giving people alpha, you're not telling them, hey, this is the project you should look for. These are your entry exit points. I love that because that's not ultimately teaching them anything. You're just telling them, hey, he, if you buy this, you'll make money. But you're not teaching them the concepts behind it, the ideas behind it. So I think it's very important. You teach, Hey, you teach someone how to fish, they're going to eat for a lifetime. So I love that you're kind of giving these tools that they can then go out on their own and kind of take ownership over their own education. But you're providing that basis. And I think that is so important because that's something we talk about in Web3 is, is ownership, is you know self-custody. So I think providing that basis for them, but then also an avenue for them to go do it on their own is, is just speaks to the mantra that we have here. So I, I think that's, that's, that's awesome. And then, you know, another thing, and I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit here. Uh, another thing, you know, I've kind of been thinking about is, you know, we talk about ways to kind of grow yourself in Web3. And a lot of people, they immediately think, hey, I'm going to launch an NFT project and I'm going to make all of this money. But an, a concept or an idea I've been thinking of a lot is in a gold rush, you sell shovels. And, and, and that is not necessarily always providing the NFT project, but it's also providing services or products around that the web3 space as a whole and and you know one thing that i know you're involved with and and that, that caused a lot of excitement in the space is, is the blur marketplace and i think it's a it's a great idea for you know to have this market aggregator that comes to the space provides competition makes other marketplaces perhaps get better gives us ideas and just gives us more options as traders so i wanted to you know kind of talk to you briefly about that and and, and ask you kind of how you got involved with it. What made you interested in, in something like this? Yeah, so I, I first got involved because back in December last year, uh, someone from Paradigm reached out and asked if I was interested in investing in um, this new protocol, this new platform. And, you know, I said, tell me more about it. And I did some research and, and I heard about what they were building. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool, actually, in advance marketplace for advanced traders we don't really have that i can see that working so uh yeah I, I did some a little bit of research and said yeah let's um i'm happy to invest and i invested in them in january and then uh nothing much happened until april and then they reached back out uh so the my the casey from paradigm it was she reached out and said uh blur is looking for someone to be sort of 
to help them with like um, part uh, collaborations, uh, communications, growth, uh, and advice, kind of like just to be like an ambassador and, and, and like help them with running Twitter spaces and, and like getting, um, giving some feedback from like what's happening in the community and, and sentiment and like stuff like that. And I said, I appreciate that, but no thanks. I'm not, I don't really like to, you know, connect my name with singular projects and kind of got my hands full with Zen Academy stuff and uh, not really interested. And then like two days later, she came back and said, you know, what? I, I really think you should take, just take a call with the founder and see what they have to say because it's something special. And so, I, you know, at that point I was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll do that. I'll have a call. And uh, yeah, so I jumped on a call with Pac-Man, uh, one of the co-founders and really just got to hear about his vision and like what they were building and, and like their skills and experience and just, through and through, everything was focused on building the best product and, and delivering the best service. And not once did they talk about making money, not once did they talk any, there was nothing extractive or nothing like that. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is different. This is special. This is, you know, this is a, a team that I'm happy to align myself with and that I can get behind and, you know, I feel comfortable uh, being a part of. And it was actually, a, a, you know, we, we had, the, had a great call and then and Pac-Man said, you know, it's, it's a small team. This is your third business and something he's, um, something he likes to do now is he doesn't like to have anyone sort of join the team without meeting in person it's just you know it's one thing to sort of chat to someone online even a video call but it's a totally different experience when you're in person with someone and can spend a little bit of time and, and get to know someone a bit better but he lives in the u.s i live in europe i was actually traveling around spain at the time with my, my fiance and her mom she was over from australia and but he was like you know it's, you know if, if it's okay with you you just pick a place and a day and a time and i'll come meet you and so he flew in uh, to the south of Spain one day. Uh, we were in, it might have been Malaga or uh, somewhere in the south of Spain. And we just had dinner one night. And, you know, he just came in to, to meet and, and we just connected and uh, had a really good conversation. And, yeah, just continued to get along well. And, you know, I was like, yeah, this is really great. So at that point, I joined as, you know, the, the role is chief Zen officer, but it really is like some hybrid between ambassador and advisor. And, uh, yeah, then, you know, Know, like six months later after that they they released the product and uh, it's been going fairly well it's you know tumultuous times in marketplaces and uh the market in general but uh yeah they're just continuing to like head down deliver improve the product uh, new features and 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 yeah that's, that's kind of the story there awesome i really i really appreciate that 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 kind of insight into into who who blur is and i i love that that one of the, someone from the founder really made a point to come out. That really speaks to to who they are and, and what they value. So I really appreciate that insight. Um, so I guess my, my, my question for you uh, is how would you say how would you say blur because you know we know about the open seas and, and the magic Edens. I think those are probably the, the the two marketplaces that people are most familiar with. Yeah, we have the X2Y2 and the looks rare and all that other stuff, but how would you say Blur it, it differs from from the Open Seas and the Magic Edens of the world? What is uh you know what makes you different, and what what do you think would bring people to Blur over one of those other marketplaces? Yeah, so Blur I think is in, is different in a few ways. First of all, it's a marketplace and an aggregator built into one. So Open Sea is just a marketplace you can only buy on Open Sea. Uh, Magic Eden is just a marketplace where you can just buy a Magic Eden. You know, looks rare. You can just buy and looks rare. On Gem, you can. Uh, sorry, on uh, Gem and Genie, which are aggregators, you can buy on any of the other marketplaces, but they're not marketplaces in and of themselves. Even though you know, OpenSea owns Gem, so that there's 
definitely a close connection there. And, and Uniswap now owns Genie. But uh, with Blur, you can uh, list on the Blur native marketplace, but you can also list on the other marketplaces at the same time. And when you buy, you can buy from any marketplace. So it's kind of like this sort of meant to be like this one-stop shop for all NFTs. You can come and, and buy and sell and trade uh, in one location. Uh, the second thing I would say is that it is really designed from the ground up with like speed in mind and really just designed for advanced traders, really designed for people that are buying and selling um, lots of NFTs at a high frequency and, and less so for the casual um, purchaser, someone that might be new to the space would get overwhelmed because there's a lot of information. Uh, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you use Binance for trading, uh, you know, they have a lot of you know, more advanced features and, and it's a lot different than say Coinbase. Coinbase is very user-friendly. There's nothing too advanced and sophisticated by it. And there's protections for, for new users. Blur is definitely like for advanced users. So I, I, can, de I can definitely see a world where, uh, you know, OpenSea is, is OpenSea and Blur exist harmoniously where OpenSea is wonderful for new users and like for discoverability and, and for like that onboarding process. But then at a certain point, if you want to be sort of competing and, and like sweeping a bunch of NFTs or like multiple people are trying to sweep at the same time and uh, you're trying to snipe rares or you want like analytical tools built in and like certainly they have more advanced features planned. Uh, then it would make more sense to use Blur for that. So, yeah. I hope uh, sniping and sweeping are part of that 30 days of NFT uh, program. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty certain they're not, actually. <laughs> That's a little too advanced. Fair enough. <laughs> so, so I guess, uh, so now that, you know, with with a new marketplace or just a new project in general, what, a, what do you think are some of the, have been some of the biggest challenges in promoting something like a blur or just, I guess, you know, you can, I guess, expand this to just a new project in general, but like, I guess, what are some challenges we have when kind of promoting a new idea or a new project or some of that you've had, you've experienced along the way? Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest challenge there's a few, but like the, the biggest challenge for any project is uh, attention, exposure, visibility. That you know, everyone wants more of that, and it, like in some instances, that's not something you really need to work on. And I think Blur has done a really great job of just you know with the airdrop, it's got the entire space talking about them. Most people know about Blur. Uh, then it's sort of like well, it's multifaceted. So for me, on my perspective, I really like to make sure that I'm sort of not chilling uh, or like, you know, chilling in a negative way or like promoting a product that I don't believe in or talking disingenuously without being transparent with the community. So I, I think very carefully anytime I, I talk about a product or a protocol that I might be aligned with. Uh, I have a website now, zeneca.xyz forward slash transparency, where I list all the projects I've invested in or I'm advising as a way to sort of be a little more upfront and clear about that. So but that's, that's a constantly evolving challenge for how to like, talk about projects that you're invested in or part of the team of, or, you know, own NFTs from if it's an NFT project, especially when you're talking in like a public way to hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, so that's, that's another thing to navigate. And then the other thing is just communicating uh, the, like the, the ideas and values and thoughts of, of the team uh, and, and, 
to the community because sometimes things get lost in translation. Sometimes, especially with nuanced topics, uh, there can be uh, misunderstandings or maybe people don't understand the way that the technology work or the airdrop works or the, the gas settings work or the, the royalty structure work. And just being able to, or making sure that you're like really clearly communicating in a way that doesn't uh, obfuscate, ob, you know what the word, obfuscate, that's the word, uh, fact and, and the truth, but uh, you know, is also clear and uh, answers the questions that people are asking and doing that in a way that is just, yeah, just sustainable. And I think that that is a, a challenge that every project faces that has to sort of, it's very much not exclusive to Blur, OpenSea has it, uh, every NFT project has it, you know, communicating with your community is, is one of the most important things. And I think it's, uh, it's always a challenge for every project. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's something I think about a lot is, you know, I think people, a lot of people, you know, I guess in our space, it's kind of a little bit different, but, you know, I think just it's kind of human nature to kind of be resistant to change. So sometimes kind of just promoting new ideas or just new ways to help people can, can be met with a little bit of resistance. So that's something I'm always kind of thinking about. I always find it interesting to see how others, how others are doing it. So, you know, another, another thing that I really really like about blur and and it kind of ties into a very hot topic of conversation in the space is the whole you know zero percent royalties conversation and you know we've seen these large marketplaces make their shifts from you know to the that zero percent royalty i think magic eden obviously was the first one and i think open has been you know kind of flirting with the idea if they haven't already moved to it but one thing that i've really liked about blur in particular was that there seems to be a plan to kind of have a reward structure, right, for for those that are opting to pay royalties. So my my question for you is, do you think that's the way forward in this kind of conversation? Do you think, you know, that it's either there you you pay zero royalties or you figure out a way to imp, uh, reward those that do pay royalties on on projects? And how do you see do you see this evolving in any way uh, or like how do you see this evolving? Yeah, the royalties conversation is incredibly nuanced and there's a lot of different parts to it. I think that the first thing is perhaps to identify there's a difference between an artist, a one-on-one artist releasing art and then getting royalties on sales for that versus a company, a team, a business releasing 10,000, 20,000, 5,000 NFTs and running a business and receiving royalties on those. Uh, if we go back to where and why royalties exist in the first place, it's because to the, to protect artists in the case that let's say an artist sells something for $200 and then 10 years later, that same piece goes and sells for a million dollars. And then the original artist without royalties would receive none of that upside. And that doesn't seem fair or 50 years later or hundred years later. And that's the spirit that royalties were introduced uh with and it has evolved into any project that releases any nft has had royalties as a way to say support the the business going on and i i think that it makes sense that it's good for creators to be rewarded on an ongoing basis but i think there's some sort of natural misalignment of incentives where a project is getting paid when people sell their token and you know, a, a community should be incentivizing people to hold and not sell the token. And, and they want a, a strong community is one that has low turnover rather than high turnover. But the financial interests of a, a project or a company are that they have high turnover and high volume and high volatility. And, you know, there's been instances where a project 
releases news that the community hates, or maybe they even rug the project and people start selling, but then the team is still making money, even though people are, the floor price is going way down. And I think that there's just a, just a general misalignment of incentives. I think it's, it's just not the best long-term model. I think different models would work better. Maybe the teams withhold supply where are there subscription models? And again, this is for like larger scale projects. For artists, I, I think that royalties make sense and we should really, you know, we can't 100% enforce them on chain. We should enforce them at a cultural level. And I think that we should, you know, work really hard to make sure that artists continue to receive royalties. I think that uh, we should also work hard for creators that uh, have released collections with the expectation of royalties. Uh, I mean, it, it gets tricky because, you know, yeah, it really just gets tricky because of what's enforceable on chain and what's not, and uh, the, just the, the way that the world works and, and people like advance trade. When you have a community of ten thousand, there's always going to be a subsection of, of well, almost always going to be a subsection of people that they're not there for the the long term. They're just there to make as much money as possible, and they're trading in and out of the project, and so they'll go to wherever the fees are lowest. And if there are no fee options, then that's where they're going to go. And if they're aren't no fee options then someone will create a marketplace that has no fees as we saw with pseudoswap earlier this year so and, and i don't think that's ever going to stop so it's just it's super nuanced i think that at the end of the day uh creators need to look out for themselves and think about what's in their best interests and uh i think it's really uncertain whether or not royalties will exist and be a sustainable revenue model uh one to five years from now and so I would uh, be mindful of that and think about ways to uh, just incorporate models that don't rely on royalties for the sustainability of whether it's a project or an individual as an artist. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely nuanced. And I, I definitely see the distinction there between, you know, a creator doing one of ones versus a company and also how uh, a community doesn't really want churn. So they shouldn't really hope for that uh in, in terms of revenue so appreciate you explaining yeah. it that way before we uh, run out of your time i just want to ask you something off topic i've heard you talk about ai and i think you said you think people are um, underestimating how big of a role that'll play in their lives in the next few years just how are you thinking about implementing ai into your business whether that's the nfts communities the education consulting or even more broadly like uh, how can ai be used for good in your opinion yeah, I'm terrified of AI. Uh, not really, <laughs> but I'm, 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 I think AI is a tool, and I think that, like any tool in the world, it can be used for good, it can be used for evil. Uh, you know, books are wonderful, but you can club someone over the head with a hardcover book, and, you know, now all of a sudden you use this tool in a really bad way or this thing in a really bad way. Uh, I think AI unlocks so much power and creativity, and, and the reason I'm terrified is that it's so, so, so powerful. It's like a paradigm shift the likes of which we've barely, I don't think we've ever seen before. I think it's probably larger than going from no internet to the internet. I really do. And I think it's going to like replace or make so many jobs uh, obsolete. And it's powerful because, you know, on a, on a really macro level, it now unlocks a lot of like humans no longer have to do all of these jobs because AI can do it. But then humans have been getting paid for these jobs and, you know, having these careers to, you know, fulfill the, their lives and, and feel like there's meaning in their life and now all of a sudden a lot of those things that you know people have been doing as as a career uh, are very quickly going to be 
um, deprecated and replaced by AI from, you know, we're seeing graphic design and, and artist um, uh, mock-ups and stuff like that with DALI and, and Midjourney and um, all, all those models. We're seeing uh, copywriting is being replaced by, you know, there's so many writing tools. We're seeing, like, it's just the advancements, like, getting so fast so quickly. And I think that, um, I guess, to, to get back to your question, the ways that you can, that, that we're thinking about using AI and that people should be is, how can you use these tools to save time as a business, as a person, um, and to improve your life? So, you know, for instance, uh, for copywriting, if I were to write a newsletter, I might use an AI tool now to like just r run it through there and, and just make sure that like the grammar is good and the, you know, the sentence structure is good. And then even like before I get to that point, maybe I'm like, I don't really know what, like, I want to talk about, I want to write a newsletter on AI, but I, you know, I don't know what. I really, how do I start this? And you just put in like, you know, can you create a, an introduction for an essay on AI or an introduction for a news? And, and like at one point I'll be able to input all of my previous work and have a train on that. But, um, and then it'll spit out like five different introduction, introductory prompts. And you don't have to use them word for word at this point, but you just be like, oh yeah, that, that's a really good sentence or that's a really good analogy. I'm just going to use that. And so you can use it to like improve existing models and processes. But, uh, yeah, it's just going to continue to get better and better and better. Like there was this uh, AI podcast that came out a month or two ago between uh, where uh, I think Joe Rogan was interviewing Steve Jobs. And it was, it was eerie because it was basically bringing someone back from the dead. Steve Jobs was talking about current events. He was very, he sounded exactly like him. Some of the stuff he said was very nonsensical and you could very clearly tell it was not a real human. But, you know, this technology is only going to continue to get better. And I think we'll reach a point where content creation is now done by AI. And, and so like technology and computers up until like the last year or two, and even, even largely up until now has been uh, focused on sort of like the analytical stuff, maybe right, right brain stuff. I'm getting the left and right brain, right? So like a calculator, calculator can help people do com complex math problems, spreadsheets, um, you know, programming language. They help people solve things in, and, and do things that are really complicated in a faster way. And but the creativity, the left side of the brain has been largely untouched. Now we're getting to a point where AI can actually do the creativity side of things as well. And it's like, oh, okay, so what are humans going to do? And it's, it's about how we can, humans plus AI will have to be the future. And it's about how to use these tools um, to improve your life, save time. And as an individual, it's very exciting. As a company, it's very exciting because there's, you know, you can do way more stuff. You can do a lot of cool things for much less money. Like you don't have to hire a, a full copywriting team. You don't have to hire a graphic designer. You don't have to hire um, a video editor soon. You don't have to hire a lot of things. You can just run things through AI. But for individuals who have those jobs, it's very scary. And as, as, a, as a whole macro level for the world, I think it's very scary. And uh, I think we need to figure out quite quickly how the world is going to adjust to this new normal because I don't know, in the next several years, I think, yeah, AI will rule. Yeah, I think so too. I, uh, as someone, you know, building and in tech, I, I'm really excited about, like you said, the time savings and how you're able to create such uh, amazing things like instantly, basically. But I have so many friends that are in, you know, that are designers and at Real Vision, we have uh, a lot of video editors and all of that. Um, so I, I definitely see the, the scary side too, uh, being in this business and being replaced. You know, some at some level, I think that like, I don't want to preserve inefficiencies to keep 
certain jobs. But like you said, I think it's a matter of like figuring out how do we use this technology just to rise the whole tide together. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's yeah, it's like, it's everything. Like AI is writing code now and then being really good at creating code. And it's just like, it's getting better at a shocking rate. And it's really great because it's making society more efficient, but it's very scary as well. So yeah, a nice positive note to end off. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I uh, I really enjoyed our chat. I, I learned a lot. Um, I really enjoy your content and appreciate that you're putting this education out there. And just want to thank you again for coming on. It was great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot, Zeneca. Yeah, no, thanks for, for joining us, everyone. Uh, make sure you follow Zeneca. He writes very, very good threads. I, I read everyone that he writes. Uh, they've taught me a lot in the space. You know, if you're, if you're new into the space, you want to learn more, or even if you feel like you're an expert, I'm sure you can still pick up some things from 30 days of NFTs. He, he pinned it to the top. So, you know, check that out as well. If, if, if you have time and, and again, thanks a lot for, for joining us. And I'm, I'm looking excited. I'm excited to, to see you grow in the space and, and see what's coming next from, from you and your team. So thanks a lot. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you everyone for turning up. Take care. All right, everyone. So we have so we have about twenty minutes, uh, give or take, until uh, Tony Parker will be joining us uh, from from club with his uh, wine NFT and Club Devin. So you know we can just sit tight. If anyone wants to come up on stage, you know you have some thoughts about you know our conversation with Zenik. I think he he gave us a lot of food for thought. Uh, you know a lot of a lot of uh, you know kind of things that we can use to build ourselves or just learn. So, you know, if anyone wants to come up on stage and just chat about anything or share some thoughts, you know, we'd love to, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. I'm really fascinated with this story, you know, starting from being a professional poker player to just diving into the space, writing and and building what he's done, right. He has two communities, one's focused on founders, one's focused on, uh, you know, more entry level. He's doing the education stuff and the consulting uh, it's it's just really inspiring to see um, all these brilliant builders in the space. Yeah, that's actually something I didn't know from his background. I didn't know that he he was uh, originally a poker player. So I think uh, that's a, it's, it's really interesting also to see where where people are coming from. You know, everyone's coming from all walks of life. You know, he was a poker player. We have devs coming into the space, artists, writers, you know, people from sales, marketing. It's just so many different people are kind of entering this space and see it as a future. It's, it's just so fascinating to see all of these people kind of come into this, you know, area, little area that we have here. Like, you know, our, our space is, it, there's a lot of money being thrown around in this space, but the truth of the matter is it is still pretty small. So it's really cool to see uh, all these different people kind of sharing their ideas and just seeing what skill sets they bring into the space and, you know, kind of that angle as well. I love that. Yeah, for sure. I wonder, I think I heard him say that when he became a professional poker player, he was just kind of traveling the world. Um, and I wonder how much that played into just his appreciation for being decentralized and, you know, he, just the whole ethos of what Web3 and blockchain is all about. I think I did hear him talk about the gaming aspect, too, about, you know, owning an NFT and how ownership uh, made it click for him. And that's the cool thing about, you know, hearing all these interviews is it different aspects of blockchain and crypto 
clicks for different people. And then slowly you start to see like the bigger picture of, you know, what it's all about, what the possibilities, what it can do. No, absolutely. And, you know, he touched on, on something and I think, you know, we can all agree a lot of us, I think the majority of us came into this space because we, we saw the dollar signs and we wanted to make some money. And I think uh, the ones of us that are still here kind of have, have realized the potential that we have here beyond just making money, but just, you know, the, the connections that we can make with, with others, you know, the, the ideas that we can share and just kind of build in businesses and products that we can build, you know, kind of around this space to kind of help promote it. So uh, I think it was, it was a very interesting concept that, that, that he mentioned there. Or, and, I, and I think one that a lot of us can relate to. For sure. For sure. So, uh, Bijan, you have me shopping now for NFTs. Do you want to? Uh, you mentioned three of them. You want to give me a rundown of uh, what did you you said? Cool cats, alien friends, and uh, gutter cats. What's the uh, TLDR <laughs> of of these projects? Yeah, so just a little background. So Jason and I were chatting in, in Slack, and I told him, I'm like, hey, you know what? You need to change your PFP. And I think these three would uh, just fit you for some reason. You know, but I, before I, I you just go think you vibe with them. My PFP is an NFT, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, what are these three about? I... I would love to hear more about this NFT, um, but yeah, let me let me tell you a little bit. And this is, guys, this is not financial advice. I'm not telling anyone to buy this. Uh, I think you know, just kind of touching, you know, building off of the conversation that Zenenka had. It's very important to do your own research and understand the concept so that you can figure out what works best for you and what you identify with. I think something very something that kind of I really liked in what he said is, you know. Just, just because gaming NFTs are popular, that doesn't necessarily mean you should buy a gaming NFT. You have to kind of understand what works for you. If you're not someone that's into gaming, you're not going to get all the benefits out of that. And you might just be chasing money that you don't really understand where it can go. So I think it's very important to find something that you identify with. If you're a gamer, it makes absolute sense to go into a gaming NFT. If you're someone who's involved or who, who likes fashion and kind of culture and sports, there's other NFTs that kind of fit that. If you're someone who likes, you know, software and and certain utilities surrounding that there's other nfts that can kind of help with that as well so i think you know you have to find what what you are interested in because that's where you're going to get the most benefit out of it and the most utility out of the actual community uh, as well you want to meet with like-minded people so kind of kind of it's it's kind of against the point if you know you're not into gaming but you join a gaming community you're not going to get so much out of that you know so yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'll start with gutter cats, right? Because uh, that's my, you know, that's that's the PFP I have. That's that's kind of one of the communities that I really I've really found a home in. Uh, the gutter cats are, you know, they're surrounded by by culture. They're they're a Web three culture brand uh, or a lifestyle brand, if you will. So I don't know if anyone in the audience or you, Jason, or if you're familiar with the the the, the fashion brand Supreme. But that's that's kind yep. of how I equate uh, the gutter cats. I think gutter cats are the web three supreme they are they are very surrounded by collaborations with other very popular artists so they did a, a fashion collab with puma they've done a collabs with stadium goods which is a sneaker and clothing website that, that's surrounded with street culture uh they've done 
uh, a collab with Vince Staples. So he's not he's not super famous uh, in the you know grand scheme of the, the designer world, like the Gucci's and and all of them. But he's very popular within the street culture uh, scene. He's uh, one of the biggest uh, you know designers there, along the lines of like Bobby Hundreds, the Supremes. Vince Staples kind of has that same same ilk or you know kind of reputation. Uh, and he, he's done, he just recently did a very big collab with the gutter cats on, on clothing, shoes and skateboards and stuff like that. So something that the gutter cats are, are really trying to do is their, their, their motto and, and the kind of the goal behind them is as our society becomes increasingly more digital, we are spending more times on screens and those screens are going to become and that more interactive and have more utility surrounded by them in, you know, kind of like the metaverse. And uh, Gutter Cat's whole concept is to capture those people and give them a lifestyle within this Web3 world. Because, you know, as our digital lives become more important to us, flexing, if you will, or, you know, kind of showing off your digital assets, you know, we, we like the nice cars, we wear the Rolexes in real life, you know, people like to kind of, you know, show off some some of their assets that they have. It's just kind of human nature, like the big houses and all of that. And as that, as our society becomes more digital, uh, that, that type of, um, I don't know really what the word I'm looking for, but that type of, uh, idea is going to, you know, translate into web three and digital assets and flexing your digital assets. is going to be important. So that's kind of the, the avenue that the gutter cats are taking. So they're very into street culture, street wear, uh, the clothing I mentioned, they are into, uh, sporting, uh, so they they have collabs with NBA players where they design sneakers for them to wear on game nights. They uh, they're doing some things within uh, and, uh, this for the FIFA World Cup. They were trying to do something with the NFL that that didn't uh, necessarily work out, but I think they're still working on that. Um, so yeah, they're kind of trying to capture capture the attention from the cultural aspect because generally culture kind of moves the trends. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what the gutter cats are all about. I, you know, I call them the Supreme of web three, uh, hip hop sports. And yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much the gutter cats in a nutshell for you. Okay. I like that. I like that. That sounds like a community I could be down with. Yeah, for sure. Recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. And they have a, they have a few different, uh, ways that you can get in, you know, they have the gutter cats, which is the OG collection. And then they have their species which are the dogs rats and pigeons and then they have the gutter clones which is the lowest tier of entry into the ecosystem uh so you can definitely you know find something across different price ranges and then they do offer you different types of access within the community as well so that's that's something to to keep in mind uh with with the gutter cats all right and then what was the other oh cool cats yeah 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 so cool cats you know, one thing I really like about Cool Cats, and this is just from an art perspective, I think their art is something that a lot of people can kind of relate to and, and get behind. It's not, it's not like, you know, very one way or the other. I think it's very like universal. You know, I think, you know, uh, a male, female, kid, you know, teenager, whatever it is, I think they can all kind of look at the Cool Cats art and, and identify with it or, or have some type of attraction level to it. It doesn't kind of speak to one thing or the other that some of maybe our other projects do. So from that standpoint, that's one of the reasons I really like uh, the Cool Cats because I think it's very encompassing to, you know, kind of the wider audience uh, within Web3 and even outside of Web3. Um, now, Cool Cats, they, they have a game that they're working on, uh, Cooltopia. Uh, so it's, I think, 
I'm not too familiar with the game, but I think it's kind of like the idea behind it is kind of like Pokemon, where you're like capturing pets, you're growing them, and and you're kind of completing tasks within their like cool uh, Cooltopia metaverse game. Uh, that you know you're able to earn milk token out of. There's supposed to be some liquidity behind that, so it's kind of like a play to earn game. Um, and then they've recently received a big uh, big round of investing from Animoca, which is a you know pretty popular gaming brand uh, as well. And they recently hired uh, a CEO that he or, or they hired his new CEO who came from Disney, uh, and I believe he had a few uh, other. There's some other big companies that he worked for, but Disney was the one that kind of uh, struck struck to me the most. Just because I think uh, Cool Cats kind of has that that little Disney vibe to them as as well. Very cool. And uh, Alien Friends. And Alien Friends. So they they're another one with the art. I think it's a it's a universal kind of art. Uh, I honestly I don't know too much about the Alien Friends other than I just see them all around Twitter and uh, I see them having fun. Other than that though, I, I I can't give you too much information. That's one project I actually <laughs> need to dive into a little bit more. I like that. I like that. They're out there having fun. I did Google them like very briefly when you mentioned it. And like they're one liners. They're just trying to make 10K friends online across the universe. And I'm done with that. I could use some more friends. Okay. Yeah. No, it's it's that community aspect, right? You know, it's like, I think think it touches on that whole community aspect. You come in, you find a community, you can relate with people, you can connect with people. And maybe, you know, the people that you meet, you guys can go, go on and create your own project or your own service or something outside of web two or web three. I think that, that, that's kind of what uh, it touches on for sure. Yeah. I I love that. I saw some, I think I saw something that they're going to give 200 K the fun 200k of a project that uses their IP and I don't know you know what you have to prove and all that but it is very cool to uh, use that kind of the creative license and you know use that art and just build something on top of it so I guess I have some research ahead of me yeah I, I want to buy something new change my PFP you know this purchase won't be uh, a flip at all I want to like dive deep and see what's a community that um I'm into that I'm like actually interested in engaging in their discord and what they're all about. So stay tuned. If anyone has uh, anything to show me, um, send it my way. I'll take a look and stay tuned to see what I do end up buying. (laughs) I'll tell you more about my uh, profile right now. So it is an NFT. Uh, My previous boss where I worked and I was building some exchanges and, and another NFT marketplace was really into this artist and also a lot of like Tezos artists. So this was released on async.market. The collection is called Decentralized Mashup and the artist is um, Colby. So basically it was like generative art with I think nine people. I'm just looking at, yeah, nine people right now. And they use different parts of like their face, the eyes, the ears, the hair, the mouth, and then the generative art like put it together. So you could see mine is like a whole mashup and there is some Vitalik in mind. So the nine people are that this Coldy artist chose was Vitalik, Andreas Antonopoulos, John McAfee, Snowden, Julian Assange, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss, the Dalai Lama, Warren Buffett, and Alan Turing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. My It was my boss who kind of recommended it. So I went ahead and bought it. And uh, a long time ago, I made it as my Twitter PFP. So that's the story there. <laughs> Soon to be changed. I love that. I appreciate you breaking that down. So I'm, I'm actually trying, I wrote a thread 
on, uh, sorry to switch it up and go back to the gutter cats. I'm not trying to really shill, but I wrote a thread on them uh, that has a lot more. I did more research and I was more prepared to discuss them. So I'm just going to pin that uh, to the top so that you guys can kind of get a full picture on them and, you know, go from there. All right, I see uh, Dow Jones. I'm looking at Maison de Goat. You want to come up and uh, talk about that? Feel free to request. But uh, I see you DM this uh, collection here. I'll take a look. Okay. Oh, MFers. So we have an MFer on the stage. How how are you? I have those too. Welcome. Connecting. Jam jam, everyone. How's it going? GM, good. How are you? Uh, fine, fine. GM, GM. GM, GM. So what's today's topic? So we just had Zeneca up on stage, you know, kind of, you know, talking to us about education in the space and, you know, kind of new ways that new people in the space can learn and, and some of the resources that they can use. And he spoke to us a little bit about Blur Marketplace and, you know, kind of the future of them and what they're trying to do in the space. Uh, and then in very soon, in about five or 10 minutes, we'll, we'll be having Tony Parker come on the stage to talk about uh, the tokenization of wine and, and what he's doing with his, uh, his wine NFT, which is, uh, you know, very interesting. Yeah, there, it's uh, some really, really cool topics. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one thing that, that really interests me and, and that I've, you know, since getting into real vision, I've, I've kind of understood is like, you know, a lot of people invest in wine and wine is a, is an avenue that I think a lot of people didn't, or uh, coming from me. And I know a lot of other DGENs in the space uh, that, that we thought was possible for ourselves. We kind of thought we were priced out of that game. So it's very interesting to see these new projects come in with uh, this type of strategy that, that kind of allows some newer investors to kind of play in this space. So what about uh, instead of about the FTX topic? Has it already gone or it's still trending? Uh, so, no, we weren't talking about FTX. I think, you know, that's kind of uh, definitely been a topic that's been covered quite a bit. Uh, we, 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 you can check some of the stuff out on, on Real Vision on YouTube. Raul has, has definitely has, has some amazing opinions on that and great insight. Uh, on that, but you no, know, we we kind of been just talking about you know just the NFT space in particular, not not really about you know FTX or you know SBF and kind of what's been going on there. Yeah, there was a epic, I think it was like a four hour Twitter space about that topic with Raul and a whole bunch of great guests jumped in. So I definitely recommend uh, checking that out. Yeah, and check out uh, the Crypto Daily briefing we just covered. Uh, some of the additional fallout from the FTX debacle today on the show with Ash and uh, and Laura Shin and Chris Johnson. So there's a, a lot of good info on the Real Vision YouTube channel that covers that. And uh, yeah, you can definitely gain some more insight on uh, on what we're seeing. Will do. Thank you so much. So so Jeremy, are you excited to uh, to talk wine with uh, with Tony Parker? Listen, man, I've been chomping at the bit about it since I knew that he was coming on. I'm super, super excited. Um, 
I'm going to talk to Tony about this in a second, but I'm a diehard Los Angeles Lakers fan. So I spent a great number of years, um, let's just say not really liking Tony Parker or the San Antonio Spurs, but uh, I'll be honest, you know, as I grew a little bit older, I realized just how incredible an organization the San Antonio Spurs are, how incredible a player Tony was. So I'm ex- super excited to have him on talk about uh, his project with Club de Ven. I know we've got uh, a couple people from Club de Ven that have joined uh, the chat. Uh, so I don't know if we want to in, in, uh, invite them up on stage while we wait for Tony to show up here. Yeah, I sent uh, Club de Ven account uh, an invite, but anyone else, um, feel free to request and we can bring there, you up too. There's also Jana. She's the wine girl. If you see her in the audience. Okay, let me take a look. This, this is my first time on stage at Twitter space, so I don't even know how to invite people up. Well, I, um, I feel honored, Jeremy. I, I'm glad that we're here with you for your first yeah. space. There we go. I think it's going to be a good one. So we've got Jana, we've got David from Club Deven. How are you guys doing today? Hey, great to be here. Very, very good. Dave, are you on? Are you here? <laughs> All right, I see him there. But yeah, no, it's, it's great to be here. Looking forward to uh, to talking wine and tokens with, with you guys and with, with Tony Parker. So yeah, I see Dave, you're unmuted now. Hey guys, how are you? Doing well, Dave, how are you? Doing very well. Thanks, uh, thanks for inviting us on today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I, okay, I got a question just right out of the gate while we're waiting for Tony. Sure. Do you have anything in a glass right now? I know it's kind of near the end of day for for both of you. Is there anything in a glass? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually just opened a bottle of the of the Estronol G, um, which is kind of their. It's like a it's like a really solid middle of the week uh, uh, left bank Bordeaux. I actually Wait. I cheated. I opened I opened the bottle last night, so um, I'm just uh, I'm uh, for for a different. Uh, a Zoom that we did. We did a webinar last night, so uh, I'm I'm still in the office. So I'm uh, I'm finishing that bottle today. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a glass of wine in the office. I'm I am surprised that you're saying you're calling that a middle of the week wine. <laughs> well, you know, every you got to have a Wednesday night wine, wine Wednesday. You absolutely do. <laughs> I just don't know if that's my price point. Uh, well, <laughs> let me also tell you that like. We right now the other thing that's happening for Club Divin right now is we're having a members only drop. I saw that, and it's one of the coolest drops we've ever had. Like we're uh, we're dropping, we, we got like the last seventy bottles of the uh, of the nineteen ninety six Chateau Margaux, which you know scored a hundred points when it came out. It scored a hundred points like ten different times that it's been rated since then. It's an amazing wine. Um, and we've got like the last, I think we have the last 72 bottles in, uh, original wooden case just for our members at the X Chateau price, which by the way, is still like, I don't know, 700 bucks. Is that what it's going for, Jana? I don't know. It's something crazy, but, um, but we're almost sold out in 35 minutes. So yeah, it's a, that's a pretty iconic wine. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's not a Tuesday, that's not a Wednesday night wine. 
Most, no. most certainly not. So is that coming straight from um, the house itself or is that through a, a, a different distributor or, you know, where are you sourcing these from? No, we source everything straight from the straight from the winery. So this is um, this is coming straight from the the, the library seller at uh, at Chateau Margaux, and when our members buy the wine, uh, it goes to a bonded warehouse in in Bordeaux that, that we partnered with, uh, and it's there until people want it shipped to their house, or you know wherever they want it shipped to. That's incredible. I think, and we'll get more into what Club Javin is uh, in a moment. Obviously, we want to kind of intro Tony first, but I think, you know, I, I come from a wine background as well. And, um, you know, before I joined Real Vision, I was a sommelier. I was working in um, distribution as well. And there's so many use cases for NFTs and wine that, you know, are yet to be uncovered. And I know that you guys are working on things behind the scenes to, to add more functionality, but it's just, it's, it's an industry that can certainly be disrupted. I know we've talked about this before, David. Uh, I think the potential to, to, to really change the industry with this technology is, 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 is incredible. Well, thanks. We've been, uh, we've been working hard at it. Um, it's, uh, it's, I got to tell you, every time we um, we try to scratch, uh, you know, one try to add one cool feature, one cool thing, um, fifty more things fall out. So it's uh, it's 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 really exciting. There, we, you know, our roadmap is now. You don't even want to talk to the product people. The roadmap is, um, it's very very long, uh, but but cool, and we're we're really excited about uh, about you know what we're bringing. Let me uh, let me just. I'm, Tony's just asking for the link. I just sent it to him, so he should be showing up in a second. And you know, David, right before you, I think right before you guys hopped on, I was actually mentioning to to Jeremy. You know, I'm actually really excited about this whole you know tokenization of wine and entering the Web three space because you know a lot of you know people like me and and, and DGens in this NFT space uh, are very aware of how how the wine industry is and how long it's been, you know, kind of an avenue of investment and how, you know, how, how many people are involved in it, but we kind of always felt like, you know, maybe we were priced out of this. So it's very, it's very cool to see something like this come into the space and give opportunity to others that may not have traditionally been involved in, in wine. Uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And like this project that we're doing with Chateau Saint Laurent is, um, is very, it's pretty different from, you know, we, it's kind of the not not the opposite, but it's very different from what we're doing right now with uh, with Chateau Margaux. You know, Chateau Margaux is a it's a you know first growth classic uh, Bordeaux house with that makes hundred point wines and you know very expensive investment grade crazy wines. Um, the project with Chateau Saint Laurent is a new project that's um, that's pretty cool. Let me let me um, let me just pause for a second. Tony's telling me he's, he's having a little bit of trouble. I'm going to just mute and I'll be right back. Maybe while we're waiting, Jana, you can uh, just kind of introduce yourself and give us a little bit of a backstory into your, you know, your, your, your work in the world of wine and a little bit more about what you do. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm Jana. My, my wine alias is the wine girl. So most people in the wine world, know me as that. Um, but I've been 
kind of working my way through the wine industry for a little over a decade now. I've, I've got my WSET diploma. So, um, so for those who, who don't know what that means in the wine world, that's a next step would be master of wine, which is, which is the hardest, the hardest thing to achieve in, uh, probably in the, in the world of wine. Um, but yeah, I, I basically started out, um, as a wine communicator. I worked in restaurants for about 10 years um and traveled a lot uh, as a communicator through social media so mostly through Instagram um and I did a lot of brand storytelling for uh for for big wine brands but where my passion really kind of always came back my passion always kind of came back to the to the smaller more interesting uh producers that are that are doing wines a little more artisanally um so I I was doing that for for many years and then I kind of fell into this whole blockchain thing and I see you know, a ton of potential um, in, in, yeah, in Club Divin, for sure. That's, uh, that's kind of taken me down the rabbit hole of discovery uh, around blockchain and NFTs in, in the investment grade wine scene, for sure. But in just in terms of wine in general, and, and uh, the possibilities that NFTs bring to the table in the wine industry, I find very, very fascinating and limitless. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a founding member of Club Divin, been with them since, uh, since I guess it's been about a year now and really excited to, uh, to be a part of it. But I see Tony, Tony uh, is here with us now. So let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's bring him up. Yeah. I, I saw he just requested and I just accepted. So, oh, you perfect. Know, Hey, Hey Tony, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hello. Hi, hey Tony. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We really, uh, we really appreciate you taking some time to to talk wine with us no here on, uh, on the Real Vision Web Three. No problem. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Tony, I'm uh, really, really excited to have you here. Uh, obviously, this is Web Three Wednesdays. Welcome. But uh, before I fell in love with Web Three and NFTs, you know, basketball was definitely. Uh, my first love. Uh, so, thank you. You know, welcome, Mr. Six-time All-Star, <laughs> four-time <laughs> NBA you. Finals MVP, and your uh, two-foot teardrop floater was a, a big inspiration. Something I took uh, into my game. So, thank you for that. Appreciate, <laughs> Appreciate that. Thank you. So, yeah, I hear you. Uh, you have uh, entered into. Well, you've been in the wine space, but you have some announcements uh, and entered into the. NFT space. Uh, that's really exciting. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Obviously, uh, wine is in my culture. Uh, everybody knows I'm from France and uh, I've been enjoying wine for a long, long time. And it's nice to see the U.S. Uh, following uh, uh, <laughs> the great way of living and enjoying wine. Uh, when I arrived in the U.S. in 2001, uh, it, it was not like that. Uh, people was more like drinking the, the hard alcohol, I want to say. And uh, over the years, uh, to see the evolution of the NBA with uh, like the dress code and then uh, the wine, everybody uh, having their own uh, wine, uh, for me, as a French guy, it's pretty nice to see as the, the U.S. improve uh, the restaurants and the way we eat uh, with all the great chefs uh, coming into the U.S. Uh, now you can see a lot of people enjoying their wine and it's nice, nice to see. So, Tony, I've got, a, I've got a question for you. Obviously, you mentioned kind of wine being in your culture. Uh, just kind of want to explore your 
you know, kind of journey into wine. When did you, you know, when did you first find an interest in wine? Um, and what did you start out drinking? Uh, first uh, tried it, I was 17. Uh, I had a, a great family who, who helped me, you know, to, through life at the time and uh, uh, show me uh, the, the good ways of uh, eating good, uh, great food, great cheese. And obviously, if you eat great food and great cheese, wine's going to come. So I had the opportunity to, to taste some good ones. And then I got drafted by the Spurs when I was 19. And I was lucky enough to have a coach who loved wine. He's like even more crazy than me. He or read every magazines. And, and back then, it was pretty cool uh, because it was not as big as now. And uh, Coach Pop really enjoyed his wine. He wanted to drink wine after every game. And so it was a great way for me and him to, to bond uh, because uh, I was enjoying it. And, and I was starting uh, making some good money so I can start to, to afford, you know, some, some great stuff. Uh, but then I learned with him that uh, through the magazines and through uh, getting better uh, uh, in my knowledge of wine, that you can get some great wine at great prices too. And so that's great about wine. You have a, a big range. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, and both myself and Jason, who's, uh, who's on the stage here, we're both, both huge basketball fans. Um, what, you know, I've heard stories of, of Pops, legendary dinner parties. What, what kind of stuff is more <laughs> in there? What, what, what's Pops go-to wine? Uh, he, uh, he loves everything, uh, but obviously he, he has a, a nice uh, preference, you know, for like France or Spain. Uh, and, and the good thing is like every time we had a big loss, Pop will get the, the best bottles, you know, to try to pump us up, you know what I mean, and, and cheer us up. And so uh, every time we, we lose, you know, usually my philosophy was like, oh, you go back to the room and and you like you sad and you think about the game. Pop was like total opposite. It was like, let's get together. Uh, let's enjoy, you know, uh, basketball is only a, a game, you know, it's not just that in life, you know, you got to enjoy life. And so we will always enjoy great dinners and great wine after tough losses. I like that reward system. I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think we what should is, institute that at the office. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> win, win or lose, you know. Um, exactly. So you, you, you mentioned Pop's collection. I wanted to talk kind of about your own, um, you know, you, if you have a count on how many bottles you have uh, in your collection, any prized possessions um, that, uh, that you hold I think I have like uh, maybe 1,500 in San Antonio and like 750 in France. Um, I don't really have a, like a preference. Uh, I'm a big, um, big fan of wine and I like all the different countries. Uh, obviously, I love France, you know, Bordeaux and Bourgogne, you know, they're, they're like my favorites. Uh, but Spain, Italy, uh, even the U.S., they, they're improving every year. Uh, I feel like Napa or in Oregon, they, they're making great wines too. So it's hard for me to say, oh, that's my favorite. I, I really, uh, I'm, a, I'm a foodie. I love eating good food and enjoying good wine. That, that's a very excellent segue into my next question, actually. Um, you mentioned, I was, I was reading an interview you did maybe a month or two back, and you mentioned how you had to really temper your wine and cheese consumption when you were uh, when, <laughs> when you're playing professional it was basketball. tough man it, it, it was tough because i i really enjoyed it and so uh, during my playing days i was really uh, being careful uh, because you know coach pop will do the body fat every two weeks 
And for me to make my body fat, I had to make sure that I take care of <laughs> the wine and the cheese. I couldn't enjoy as much as I wanted. But then I had the summertime to, to enjoy anyway, because that's when I will use that time, you know, to go to the vineyards and uh, meet all those great people, those great families, those making those great wines. Because uh, during the year, I will do a, one dinner a month. I will invite a great chateau to come to San Antonio, have dinner with me and Pop. And then the next day, we'll invite them to a Spurs game. So it was a great great way to to create relationship and get great allocation you know and um, uh, over the years uh, we'll build uh, uh, some good some good relationship with good people okay so three questions there you said you and pop would have dinner you did not invite tim duncan or manu or any of the other guys so over the years i will say that at first they were not drinking wine especially timmy but then uh, he got better and he will try it but uh, to do a whole four-hour dinner uh that's not the way that timmy sees a dinner you know (laughs) i think for him is one hour and done uh you know in france we like our take our time we have the little appetizer the apero and then you go slow you you have the first wine then the second wine then the third wine then you get the dessert wine it takes forever it's way too long for him (laughs) yeah that that makes good sense i i feel like maybe you know just going back to the wine and cheese thing i want to know how much of that was consumed with with Boris Diaw, because I feel like he would probably yeah. Be when when Boris influence. yeah when, when Boris arrived to the Spurs, Boris was definitely part of the dinners. That's for sure. He will definitely come in and enjoy the wine with us. Uh, Boris did a lot of stuff in the wine world too, and so uh, no no he definitely loves uh, loves his food and his wine. You know, Tony, you mentioned you know you mentioned Manu as well, and that's actually you know where I kind of first learned to you know got my first introduction into wine is when I studied abroad in Argentina and I took a yep. trip to Mendoza and had those yep. beautiful Malbecs. So I think they also have a wonderful and growing wine. Argentina is a great point. And Manu likes wine. Huh? Manu likes wine. Uh, never had a chance to make my dinners, but Manu really enjoys it. And Argentina, yeah, I forgot to, to name Argentina. They have great wines too, a great price point too. And, and, you know, a question I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned when you first got here, you know, wine culture and, you know, it wasn't as, as prevalent or as big as it, you know, seems to be growing now. I, I guess a, a question is what is something, you know, what's the difference in your opinion between the American palate and, and the French palate? Is there, is there a difference in the types of wines you've noticed them, you know, kind of interacting with and enjoying? I, 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 think, I think wine, it, it, it's, um, how can I say that? It's like, a, you know, you sit down, you take your time and, 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 and it's long dinners, you know, and that's why it, uh, come, that's why uh, that's where the wine comes. Uh, uh, you know, in the U.S., you have a tendency of, of everything goes fast. You know, fast food life. You know, you eat fast food, uh, food, and, and 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 it's just different. You know, um, me, my conception of wine is you sit down, you talk, you create memories. Uh, you let's choose, let's choose the year. Are we going to drink this year because this year we won that championship or or whatever? It, it, it's a whole process. Uh, to to enjoy some wine and i feel like uh, now the us is becoming uh, more and more healthy um you you can see you know uh, uh, that uh, the us is paying more attention of taking care of themselves and uh, and being healthy with the food and so when you do that the wine comes right away and you said when you uh, first got drafted pop was uh, already into wine and he kind of taught you the ropes uh so you credit him with um, kind of pulling you into this world and who, do, you, do you think he's the OG in all of the NBA to kind of 
I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it before I came, but Pop definitely went to the whole like knowledge of like knowing every country, every wine, and all that kind of stuff. Pop owned his own vineyard uh, back in the day because I know he just sold it like a, a year ago, but uh, he used to own his own vineyard in Oregon. And so uh, I will definitely say that he's like the godfather of wine uh, for the NBA, that's for sure. Wow, that's amazing because you know, I, you see it today now, a lot of guys. Uh, Really into wine, so yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to see the the top players enjoying their wine, sharing stories on Instagram, and showing what bottle they drink, what year. And uh, Stephen Curry, you know, D Wade, uh, Carmelo, uh, Chris Paul just invested in rose, uh, just like me. So it's fun to, to watch the evolution of wine in the NBA world. Yeah, I forget who it was, but during the bubble year. Uh, someone brought their collection to their hotel room and they, they just made their room super cold just, just for their wine, which is hilarious. I think it was not Jimmy Butler, no? I think it was Jimmy Butler, yeah. Yeah, Jimmy. And Jimmy is a big fan of Cost, too. Uh, the, the One of the best wine in the world who's, who's the wine of my partner, you know? So uh, I think it was Jimmy who did that. Well, I think even even LeBron, when when the Cavs won the championship a few years back, I think that's they went to Napa as like a team kind of celebration. Of yeah, I saw that. Yeah, but you can always see LeBron putting stories about what wine he's drinking. Uh, yeah. You can see that he definitely enjoys uh, wine. Uh, if he's not doing promo for for tequila, you know, for Lobos, he's he, <laughs> he's talking about wine. <laughs> So I, I, I wanted to kind of ask you just, you know, if, if you have within France and obviously this might be biased just based on, you know, some of the um, some of the, the, the partners that you're working with. If you have a favorite region within France, if there's something that, that, that you particularly enjoy. If I had to choose one, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Bordeaux. If I had to choose a region, uh, I'm definitely a, a Bordeaux guy. Champagne, yes, no? Yeah, I love champagne too. Champagne for me is a must. Every apéro it starts with the champagne. Okay, that's 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 the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, we want to kind of jump into your project here with Club de Vin, talk about Chateau Saint Laurent. Uh, maybe you can just provide a little bit of insight about what drew you to that property in particular, if it was, you know, the region, if it was, you know, a little bit of both, a little bit of yeah. both the, the region and, and then the castle. The, the castle is beautiful. Uh, we definitely want to make it a, a place where people will enjoy spending time over there. Uh, the castle is unbelievable. And, uh, and now we're going to work on, on the wine. Uh, so it's a work in progress. Uh, we're definitely working on the, trying to make a, a great quality wine uh, from that region. Uh, I've been investing for a year and a half now in different uh, properties. And so slowly but surely, you know, we're growing and uh, try to propose a, a range of uh, wine that people will enjoy. That's very cool. I, I just have another separate question that I've, I, I forgot to ask you, but I, I know we've got, you know, a crowd of people that are heavily invested in the digital asset space. I wanted to know if you currently, other than Club de Ven, if you own any other NFTs or digital assets, how deep no, are you into this? No, space? no, it's, it's my first time uh, doing that. It's my first time uh, uh, with my partner. You know, we had that opportunity, you know, to do the, the club and, and to do the NFTs. And, uh, and it's something that you can see more and more now. 
we start working with my foundation too, with the artist to do uh, some NFTs too uh, there. And so slowly but surely, you know, I'm I'm getting interested in uh, in uh, all this unique experience and those unique stuff that you can provide uh, for everybody that enjoy uh, wine. Well, I think I think number one, we need to get you a PFP a profile picture because, as you can tell, uh, there's not a whole lot of people in the crowd here that are using their own picture. Um, that is one of the things that uh, that we love about the, the Web three space. Okay, I, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. My bad, right. guys. <laughs> we're on we're on top of it. We're gonna get him a, a very cool god of wine for, uh, for, his, for his PFP. <laughs> love that. <laughs> Now, now might be a nice time to to bring David and Jana back in just to talk a little bit of Club Devin. Uh, don't go anywhere, Tony. Stay here yep. with us. Uh, but just kind of introduce the project, what you guys are seeking to do in the wine industry, um, how you're kind of revolutionizing, um, you know, the the wine community as a whole. Sure. So, uh, first of all, thanks thanks a lot for for inviting us here today. Really appreciate uh, the chance to talk to you guys. We've been a big fan of, of Real Vision for a long time. And as you know, we've done a bunch of events with you guys in New York and uh, and Singapore. And we just did an event, uh, I think we just did an event with you in Barcelona um, uh, last week. So we, we're, we're really fans of Real Vision. We did the, the that, that collab with you guys. We, uh, uh, we we love being partners with you. So thank you very much for, uh, for, for all of your support on the project. I really appreciate it. Um, so Club Devin is uh, is kind of set out to to tokenize the uh, the wine world, um, and we're we're we've developed a couple of different products that uh, to do that. One of them is the the digital cork, which is like a standard NFT that's attached to every bottle um, that kind of serves as the certificate of authentic uh, authenticity and the deed of ownership and all of that kind of normal, you know, fidgetal NFT stuff. Um, but, you know, wine is a little bit different from other physical luxury objects that you would attach NFTs to. So uh, because, you know, at some point, hopefully you're going to drink the wine. Um, and, and unlike, you know, if you're attaching NFTs to watches or diamonds or, you know, handbags or, or any of the other kind of things that people attach NFTs to. So we, we came up with something that I think is pretty original. I, we haven't seen anybody else do it and we're really excited about it. And the, that's called a, a tasting token, which is when you, when you open the bottle, you burn the, the NFT that's attached to the bottle, but you mint a new NFT, both for you and the other people that you're tasting the wine with. And those are called tasting tokens, which, um, which really serve as two things. One is your, your the record of all the great wines that you've tasted but then also you know kind of go back to the winery and create a way for the winery to offer people rewards and experiences so like collect five tasting tokens and get invited to the winery for a barrel tasting like that kind of deal so that's that's the technology that we've built the club is all the early adopters right so we've uh we've created a uh, an NFT tokenized club that um, that's very small. Uh, we're, we're limiting it to only 5,000 members. Um, and the idea is as we bring wineries onto the platform, 
um, the very first exposure goes to our club members. So, for example, I think I was just talking earlier. We uh, we just did the 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 Chateau Margot drop um, where we got the last. 72 bottles of 96 Chateau Margaux, I think in the world. Um, and we offer them to our members at X Chateau pricing. So like, those are the kinds of benefits that we offer, but I'll, I'll stop there because I could keep talking about the club forever. Yeah. I'm just going to jump in there too, because um, I mean, this is, this is obviously an NFT <laughs> space. Um, but what's really interesting about Club Divin is is this kind of like bridging the gap between the two complex worlds of wine and NFTs or blockchain in general. Um, but I think it's really important to kind of highlight the fact that Club Divin is, is, is really, it's, it's a wine club and it's about community and experiences and offering our members, um, because we are, as Dave said, a, a small group of people offering these people insider access everywhere in the wine world. Um, so basically what we did to be able to do that is we hand selected this group of about 30 people and these are our founding members. Um, and what these founding members actually do is they create so much value within our community because they, they can use their personal connections to get our members insider access everywhere in the wine world. So we've got people, we've got about seven masters of wine. We've got master sommeliers. We've got rockstar winemakers. Uh, you know, we've got, Jane Anson, who is like the authority of, of Bordeaux wines uh, in general, I would say, but also a very, very famous, well-known um, author. Um, and so we've got this this like amazing group of people that are that are offering members all of their personal connections, basically. Um, and so yeah, it's it's about it's about rare events and experiences and and just building community for the real wine enthusiasts of the world, whether you're a collector or you're new and just want to learn. Um, it's a really open and, and fun space to do that in. And of course, everything powered and kind of underlined by, by the blockchain is just a total bonus and adds all kinds of possibilities to it. So yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. I mean, like I mentioned at the, at the beginning, I, I have a bit of a background in, in wine myself and it's, you know, it's commonly looked at as an industry that is, you know, quite old hat, um, that doesn't, you know, adapt to new technology that quickly. And I mean, I have some other friends within the wine world that are exploring use cases for NFTs as well as, you know, a way to build community as a way to prove, you know, proof of provenance and, you know, really be able to connect wineries. Tony, do you mind muting? Tony sounds like you're playing basketball with him. He's, he's, he's getting in a workout. Um, yeah, just a way of, you know, uniting the wine community and helping uh, wineries, you know, go direct to consumer. Um, so it, it's very cool to, to kind of see this adoption from such big names in the industry. I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, What's what the level of interest, you know, when you go to these wineries, you know, how many of them are saying, oh, this is really interesting. We, we would love to explore this versus others that might be a little bit more hesitant to uh, to adopt technology like this. Janet, do you want to take it or you want me to go for it? Why don't you start. You start. You were just out uh, talking to. A bunch of wineries in uh, in Germany. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah. So I think what's really cool is the wine. So the wine industry, as as Dave always says, has kind of been working the same way for a thousand years. So you kind of have this this idea that things are 
set in stone, let's say, but it's been pretty cool um, to actually be on the side of, of not only this community building side for the members, but also approaching wineries. Um, I did a, a trip last week or two weeks ago now in Germany with, uh, with Valentina, one of our very, very talented Psalms and team members. Um, and it was just so cool. I mean, Germany is a, is a pretty, you know, it, it feels a little bit like a, a more closed market. It's, uh, it was really surprising and, and really nice to walk into some of these top wineries in the country and, and just be so welcomed. And, you know, people already knew what we were talking about. It wasn't like we were speaking a foreign language. People are really, really excited to work with us. Um, you know, especially on really small kind of special wine releases. So things that they're not really offering to, you know, to everybody that walks in the door. Um, it's, it's just, it's pretty cool. I was actually, I have to say, I was surprised. I thought it was going to be trickier to, uh, to talk to the winemaker about a, about a topic like this, but actually people really are really adopting it and, and, and opening up to it. So it's been nice. What's, what's really, I, I think, appealing to the winemakers about it is, you know, we're not, we're not out there asking them for allocations. We're not out there asking them to, um, you know, to give us some of their wine. We're, we're really just giving them data. Uh, and for, for the wineries, it's something that, you know, they've, they've had, they've had trouble with for, for millennia, really. Like most winemakers have no idea where their wine is or who's drinking it or when no idea. Uh, when you think about it, like if you open a great bottle of wine, it was probably made, you know, 15 years ago by somebody half a world away. So you're really kind of disconnected from the winemaker. And there's so many stops in between, like, like between the winemaker and, you know, your, your cellar uh, or your, your kitchen table, it's, you know, there's 20 people that touch that bottle. So um, it, it, it really, they, the winemakers really just have no idea where their wines are. And if we can tell them, hey, you know, not only can we tell you where your wines are in the world, but we can tell you when they're being opened and who's drinking them, that, that gets them pretty excited um, because it provides them with a way to communicate with their consumers at the moment of consumption that they were just ne never able to do before. And, you know, as you know, like the time that you're most interested in a particular winery is when you're tasting it for the first time. And so we can put that winery in touch with you because of the tasting token when you're tasting the winery for the first time, when you're tasting that wine for the first time. And so it, it really, it's like, you know, uh, I, I don't want to bring up anything as uncouth as, as marketing when we're talking about something as beautiful as wine, but like it's a business. And it's important for them to be able to, you know, they can they can make your experience so much better when they know when you're uh, when you're, you're you're drinking that wine. If that makes sense. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I, you guys say so much on your on on the Club Deven website that you know, if you are you know the winery sees that you're somebody that purchases purchases you know every vintage that they produce you know they can then extend you know an offer to you to you know come visit the winery and and provide you those kind of added benefits that only serves to kind of strengthen that connection between you and that winery and it creates loyal loyal customers for life and, sure and then and I, and I don't know you know if 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 this has been explored yet but you know as a way 
like you said, you know, wine goes through so many hands. It goes from the winery to the distributor to, you know, the tertiary market as, you know, collectors kind of trade between themselves. Um, How do you foresee potentially, you know, royalties from those kind of secondary sales for the winery? Is that something that you're thinking of and that wineries are obviously interested in? Absolutely. So with the digital cork, um, the, 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 the royalty always goes back to the winery. So any aftermarket sales, um, the royalty is not only goes back to the winery, but it's set by the winery. So if the winery decides that they want to encourage consumption, they can set the royalty really high. Or, or if they want to con- encourage um, trading, they can set the royalty really low. So putting the power in the hands of the winemaker, we think is, uh, is a really important part of what we do. But but actually, what what you say kind of brings me back around to the original point, and I think we I think we lost Tony unfortunately. He was he had to go off to a dinner, but I wanted to talk a little bit about what we're doing with Chateau Saint Laurent, because that's a that's a very cool project, um, and what we're doing with the allocation tokens is it's pretty innovative uh, for for the you know if I do say so myself, it's pretty innovative for the wine space, um, and it's. I think, as far as I can tell, the first time this has ever been done anywhere. So um, let, let me, let me. do you mind if I talk for just a minute about um, Chateau Saint Laurent and, and what we're doing with them? Please do. Great. So Chateau Saint Laurent is a 14th century uh, a chateau just outside of Avignon in the Rhone Valley. Um, they, uh, it's a super, it's the, I think it's the largest chateau, um, in that area. And it's like got 22 bedrooms. It's, I was just there in July. I stayed there in July right after they bought it. Uh, I went out and visited and it is beautiful. Like just one of the most beautiful places. And obviously the road, like Avignon is a beautiful place. And this is a, like one of the most beautiful places in Avignon. Um, the chateau is, is just remarkable. It's, uh, you know, 14th century. It was built by the same folks uh, that were building chateaus for the, for the Pope back in the 14th century. And actually there's a tunnel uh, that's 10 kilometers long that starts at that chateau and goes to the, uh, the, the, the winery for the Pope in, uh, in Chateau. So it's, it's a really, really interesting and historic chateau that, that Tony has purchased in, uh, in Avignon. It's beautiful and, um, and it's gonna be um, quite an amazing place when they get done doing the, the refurbishing that they're talking about right now. Um, it, it also has 40 hectares of vines um, and some of those are old vine Grenache. And um, while they're probably gonna make mostly a high-end rosé, they have um, a very a small vineyard that they're going to make a, a reserve red wine, and uh, and they're very excited about it. Uh, we we actually tasted the wine that was made there in 2015, um, and it is it is remarkable for that area. Like really, really, really great wine, beautiful old vines, um, and it's going to make uh, just a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful cuvee. Um, what we're doing with Tony is called an Alec, what we, what we've built or the product that we've built that we're launching with, uh, with Chateau Saint Laurent is called an allocation token. And so allocations are nothing new to the wine world, right? Like lots of people have 
you know, I have an allocation at Chateau Lafitte or an allocation at Chateau Palmer or Domaine du Jacques uh, or 100 Acre, right? It means I get six bottles a year or three bottles a year from them. Um, and that's been going on for, you know, hundreds of years in, in the wine business. However, it, for most of that time, it's more of a social contract. You know, you kind of get in the good graces of the winemaker. He gives you a, an allocation and can take it away at any time. Or, you know, if any of you have an allocation to any, any Burgundy wineries, you know that typically your allocation gets reduced every year. Um, it's, uh, it's just what happens. What we've done is taken that idea of a wine allocation and turned it into a smart contract from a social contract into a smart contract. So the allocation token is an NFT that guarantees the holder the right to buy up to six bottles a year, every year, for every vintage, forever. That's the idea. Now, um, the, uh, the, this particular wine at, uh, at Chateau Saint Laurent, it's going to be, they, they haven't figured out exactly what the pricing is going to be. It's probably going to be about a, a $50 wine, somewhere, somewhere in that range. Um, but they're only making 3,000 bottles a year. That's it. Uh, they won't make any more. They only have that many vines. So they'll make a very, very small amount of wine. And the only way that you can buy that wine ever is if you have one of these allocation tokens. Only the holders of these allocation tokens will be able to buy that wine. And that makes it pretty interesting, right? Because not only is it something that, um, that gives you the right to buy the wine, but it's an asset. So as that, as that wine becomes more notable, more desirable, um, it's, uh, you know, our, our goal is that he is that Tony and Chateau Saint Laurent are creating value in that community. And they're doing it in a bunch of different ways. So like one way is the ability to buy the wine, but you also have, you know, with the, the holders of that, uh, of the allocation token are going to have the right to be able to visit the winery for uh, a pickup party every year. So when the wine is available, you can either have it shipped to you or you can go to the pickup party at the Chateau, or I think Tony's going to do a pickup party in, in Texas. Um, but so if you own that wine, you can attend the pickup party and pick it up yourself. Um, there's also the ability to visit the winery, uh, with, with friends or with a group once a year and do a barrel tasting at the Chateau, uh, which is pretty cool. And again, only available to token holders. And in time, the, the, they're building as they kind of refurbish the, the Chateau, eventually it will be available for stays. And, uh, one of the things that will be a, a utility of the, allocation token is the ability to stay at the chateau when you're in Avignon. So there's lots of cool utility that's built in. And obviously Tony and Chateau Saint Laurent will have uh, a big incentive to increase the value of holding that token. So we're really, really excited about this. Um, we're we're going to launch another one early next year. Uh, I'm not going to drop any hints about who it's for, but uh, it's another really great uh, new winemaker on the space um, that everyone's going to know. And, um, and anyway, so, so we're really excited about that. And I, I don't know if I explained it well enough, but if you have any questions, uh, I'm happy to answer questions about that. There's only 500 and they're going on sale, uh, I think, December 7th.
Yeah, and also worth noting that this is the very first time that an all- allocation token has ever been has ever been released in the wine world. So it's a uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty innovative. Very interesting in the in the wine scene for sure. And we're really excited to be launching it with Tony and and, and the Chateau. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that's that's super cool. I, I I wasn't aware of the allocation token. That just adds kind of another layer to what you guys are doing. It's incredibly, incredibly cool. Um, I've got a question for those sure. that might be in the audience that want to get involved in Club to Ven, myself included, because I missed the, the original Mint. Um, where, where and how can we do that? Well, I think the right now the the public mint is closed. We've closed it since uh, uh since July, but we we are open for friends and family. We do kind of periodic friends and family mints, um, and Jana's really running that. So I think your best bet is to DM Jana. Yeah, uh, are are the are the original NFTs are they traded anywhere on secondary markets? Oh sure, yeah. You can find Club Devin anywhere on um, on you know OpenSea or or Rarible or or anywhere. But you know, the friends and family mint is a uh, um, it, it is a discounted mint. It's like fifty percent off the public price. So if you want to get in on the friends and family, like you just need to call Jana. That's it. It's easy. Yeah, seriously. So um, you can send me an email, guys. It's J at clubdevin.com. And uh, and we'll we can set up a one on one, and I'll explain how it works and get you guys some tokens. Awesome, that's very cool. Expect expect an email from me shortly. Uh, <laughs> you have my email, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotcha. Um, I just wanted to kind of turn it over to the audience right now. If there's anyone that's out there in the crowd that has any questions while we have Jana and David uh, on the line here, um, please feel free to to put your hand up, and we'll bring you in. And, and while I say that, I did actually have kind of just another question. This is going back to, you know, what's what's next for you guys and what's coming. Um, I noticed a question on your website yesterday about um, whether or not you can kind of inquire about, about storage conditions for any of the wines that, you know, you, you might be purchasing on, uh, on the secondary market um, and that that'll be coming. If you could maybe just kind of outline your plans for that and how you how you see that rolling out. Sure. So we're, uh, as of right now, every bottle that we sell on the platform, we're including an NFC sticker. Uh, and the bottles that we sell on the platform automatically go to a bonded warehouse in, in Bordeaux, or, or actually we're starting to work with an, another bonded warehouse in Napa. So um, all of those will have, you know, perfect provenance. Anything that, that's purchased on the platform by members will come directly from the winery, will be stored at a, at a bonded warehouse. That'll all be um, recorded on the, uh, on the blockchain. And then when you go to ship the bottle, um, that will also be recorded on the blockchain, right? So like when the bottle gets shipped, that gets updated on the, on the digital cork. So everybody can see that that bottle was shipped to you. Now, over time, there's a bunch of interesting technologies that are out there. There's a, there's a new um, kind of a, an NFC sticker that, get, that you can stick on every bottle that is tamper-proof, it's encrypted, it's waterproof. And, um, and, what, and, and that communicates with a, 
like a like a receiver that you can put in a lot of different places in the supply chain. So, for example, um, it's kind of like if anyone's seen like the the Amazon uh, stores where there's no checkout, you just put everything in the in the basket and walk out the door. Well, the way they're doing that is with NFCs and RFID, right? As you walk out the door, all of those tags are getting scanned and they're charging your credit card. Um, what we're doing with the wine is pretty much the same way. You know, as that wine leaves the winery, um, it's scanned and the blockchain is updated that those wines have left the winery. As they enter the, the, uh, the bonded warehouse, the same thing happens. Um, and over time, we build integrations in with everybody from, you know, DHL, FedEx, um, uh, UPS, other kinds of, uh, of couriers around the world. Um, and then there's, there's really for the, you know, as atomized as the wine world is, there's really only two or three players uh, in the space, in the supply chain that can transport wine in temperature controlled um, containers. So, you know, there's, we really only have to integrate with two or three of those players. And once we do, we can really cover the wine, we can really cover um, uh, updating the blockchain with the location and environmental conditions of every bottle, every step in the supply chain. You know, I think it's going to take a couple of years for us to get there, but it's not that far away. Most of the, uh, you know, uh, the vast majority of the wine in the wine in the world doesn't get transported that way. But when you're talking about investment grade collectible wine, the kind of wine that you would that you're really going to care about how it's stored and how it's transported, there's only a few players in that space. So coordinating with them, making sure that our sensors get get put in. Uh, um, get put in place so that every time those bottles are moved, it gets updated on the blockchain. That's just uh, that's just a little bit of business development that we've got to do, but it's not technically difficult to do. It's just, uh, it's just a little bit time consuming. That's very cool. And we have, we have a question in the audience just before we get, uh, get to our question. I just want to share a bit of a horror story um, for those of you that, you know, maybe are just kind of getting into the world of wine. Um, wine is a very, fickle beverage and you know it is very um temperature sensitive and i live in the cayman islands which obviously gets very very warm around here um i worked for a resort here as a sommelier we had ordered it was close to a quarter million dollars of wine to ship down to the resort and uh it got caught up in customs for a couple of days and we were worried about heat damage um However, when the container arrived, again, with nearly a quarter million dollars of wine in it, uh, we opened the container and it turns out that customs, knowing that wine is you know, sensitive to heat, they stuck this container of wine in the freezer. So we opened. The oh, container. man. Yeah, we opened the container and it was a bloodbath. You know, it, the wine had gone from super hot to super cold to super hot again. Um, it, the bottles had erupted. We had corks that were pushing through the foil. It was, it, it, we were devastated. So that's just, you know, if you have your own wine collection at home, always, you know, make sure that, uh, that it is stored, you know, in a, in an appropriate temperature, 
um, lest you kind of you, you you have the same fate that we did. Anyways, I do want to go to um, Pressure Makes Diamonds, who is on the stage. If you want to go <laughs> ahead and ask your question uh, to David and Jenna. Hey, <clears throat> thanks a lot. How you got? How you guys doing? Great, great, man. How are you? Uh, not too bad at all. Um, yeah, just a quick uh, technical question um, sure. about that, uh, like your supply chain logistics management. Is there an underlying platform that you're using, be it Morpheus Network, Track, or VChain to do that? Or is that a in-house uh, solution that you guys are come up with? Uh, you know what? I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to beg off that question. Unfortunately, the the our head of product has been doing the research on that. I know that we've looked at VChain, um, and I think we've looked at a couple other solutions. I know that we're not gonna build it in-house. Um, but I, uh, but I'm not sure what solution we've, uh, we've, we've decided on yet. And I, and I think that it's actually still up for bit. I think is that there, we, still ha- we, we haven't quite, we haven't, we haven't made a final decision yet. Okay. Is there a, a telegram or email address where maybe I could, uh, kind of follow up on that with y'all? Sure. You can always write me. I'm just D at clubdivin.com. D at club, Div- or D at club Divin. And then, uh, a second question, if it's okay, sure. um, like I just thought about, are you guys exploring opportunities? You know, I just saw that documentary. What what was it? The I want to say sour grapes or something like sour that. Sour grapes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, the famous one of the guy no, was yeah. making the million dollar wine in his kitchen sink. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty impressive in its own right. Uh, yeah. So, are you looking at expanding into you know offering a solution for some of these high end wineries to be able to prove provenance through the blockchain? So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a that's a second order solution for us. Um, you know, there's we, we've been looking at, at the technology to do that for a long time. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of different people that are that claim a lot of different things with tech. But at the end of the day, the truth is the only way to really defeat that is with um, is with transparency and ubiquity. Right. And, and, and think about it this way, you know, if there are three bottles of 96 Margot that I'm going to buy out there in the world, and one of them, I can look at the, at the, at the, uh, the digital cork, and I know that it's been sitting in a bonded warehouse for 30 years, and the other one, um, like, Jana owns it, and she bought it from, you know, uh, Jeremy, and Jeremy bought it from somebody else, and it's been all over the world. Um, and then the third bottle is like a burner, um, uh, wallet that doesn't even have a name attached. What you're going to do is you're going to pay a lot more for the one that's been sitting in the vaunted warehouse. And because of that price differential, that's going to disincentivize fraud and counterfeiting 